Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, May the 3rd, 2017, and this is episode 1997 of the Survival Podcast. And if you can't tell, I'm excited about today's podcast, because we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects and something I'm continuously trying to learn more about, and I think we're all going to learn things today from our guest, Brandon Todd, and we're going to talk about uh, cryptocurrency. Yes, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, but we're also going to talk about things like the Dow, MadeSafe, Factum, uh, Monero, and Dash. What are those? You'll find out what all of those are today, and you'll find out a lot more. We're going to talk about alternative cryptocurrencies to the two biggies, and we're going to talk about technologies that enable us to use them, to change them from one form to another, to keep them completely private, to make them as public as we want them to be. You name it, we're going to talk about it today, and I think that is awesome, and I'm excited. I'm excited because I believe this is the future of techno-anarchy. I really do, that... It's going to become the way that it, it can morph into so many different things that the government can't get their arms around it, and it's going to enable total freedom in our lifetimes. I, I, I really believe that. Total freedom not in all things. Total freedom from the aspect of the Agora. What's the Agora? Well, maybe our guest and I will talk about that today. If we don't, I'll fill it in at the end for you. But uh, agorism, I think, combined with cryptocurrency is is the future of the the battle for freedom um, that we talked about a lot yesterday. Before we get into this, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, guys, you know I've always been a fan of Backwoods Home Magazine. Well, how about this? How about Self-Reliance Magazine from the same people that brought you Backwoods Home? Many of you know I've been a Backwoods Home subscriber for over 20 years. Dave Duffy and the crew over there have brought out a new magazine simply called Self-Reliance Magazine. It's at self-reliance.com online, and you can learn more about it by the link in today's show notes. But it's amazing. Just take Backwoods Home up the production value, take out all the politics, and go 100% hardcore homesteading, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And that's what you get in Self-Reliance Magazine. Check them out today, self-reliance.com. You know, Western Botanicals is my personal first choice for everything herbal, from whole raw herbs to preparations and ointments. In fact, two products I use all the time from Western Botanicals are the Deep Heat Ointment and the Turmeric Combo. Western Botanicals is the no-nonsense, no-hype herbal source you can trust. Learn more at westernbotanicals.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1997 because the episode is 1997. I have two from Alex Shrug today. I have The Smart Ship is Not Smart Enough. And I have Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I also have notable births. Chalu Grace Moretz, the 11-year-old hit girl in Kick-Ass. She has her mother's permission to swear. Don't know her. And Marisa Williams, Anna Stark, and HBO's Game of Thrones, a recurring role in Doctor Who. Okay? I know Doctor Who, but I don't think I know that one. I think I know the old one we used to watch on PBS. Notable deaths this year. Chris Farley, who died at age 33 of a drug overdose from Saturday Night Live and Tommy Boy. John Denver. Uh, age 53, died in an airplane crash. He was uh, in the movie Oh God. He was a singer-songwriter. If I had to tell you who he is, probably wouldn't matter to you. And Burgess Meredith, age 89, died of Alzheimer's disease this year. Mickey and Rocky and the Penguin in TV's Batman. This year in film, Titanic, Men in Black, The Fifth Element, Contact, 
Starship Troopers, Gattaca, and uh, this year in TV, King of the Hill, Daria, South Park begins this year, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was a terrible series, and I loved it. I loved it. I'll admit it, in, in the in the mid-90s, I loved watching it. I think it would let me kind of, like, I was still pretty young, and it let me kind of relive in my mind being a high school kid that didn't give a damn, and yet you seem like all these big problems were always popping up that were phony and fake. I guess I always see metaphors in things. I don't know. I love Buffy, uh, the Vampire Slayer. This year in music, Madonna wins Best Actress for the musical Evita. I guess everything is forgiven for the Pepsi commercial. Uh, Goodbye, England's Rose, Candle in the Wind. Elton John rewrites one of his classics to honor Princess Diana at her funeral. Uh, Tub Thumping, I Get Knocked Down by Chumbawana. My kids love this one, says Alex Drug, and I wanted to strangle them over it. Uh, Love Gets Me Every Time, Gone and Done It from Shania Twain. She crashes into the country music this year because her husband, this is for me, not Alex, because her husband was a producer for Def Leppard. Yeah, and if you listen to some of her music, you can like totally switch back and forth between her so-and-so called country and Def Leppard's songs like Pour Some Sugar on Me and Any, Any Man of Mine. I heard a DJ on, on country radio do it once, and I had to pull the car over because I was laughing some so hard that I was going to wreck my car if I didn't pull the car over. That's that's how funny it was to me. In other news this year, Comet Hell Bop is visible for the naked eye for 18 months. The Heaven's Gate UFO religious group believes the Comet is a spacecraft and commits mass suicide in order to catch a ride. My actual understanding is they bought a telescope, and when they looked at it, they were very disappointed, and they returned the telescope, and then they went and killed themselves. I think it was more of a... A disappointment that the aliens weren't coming, that it wasn't worth living anymore. I think that's how messed up those people were in the head. The Mars Pathfinder lands on Mars this year. It lands using a nuke airbag bouncing system. And an F5 tornado wipes out Jarrell, Texas. And numerous other tornadoes hit Austin and Cedar Park. I live in Austin. It was a wild ride. I've written about it in the history segment before, says Alex Shrugged. Let's read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. J.K. Rowling has been working on this book for a long time, and it's finally published. The book is a hit. It's about a young orphan boy named Harry Potter who's sent to live with his aunt. She sleeps under, he sleeps under the stairs, and he's treated like a servant. One day he gets a letter delivered by an owl, but his aunt and uncle will not let him read it. More and more letters arrive until finally a large man is sent to deliver it personally. Harry Potter is a wizard, and he has been invited to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. What follows is an adventure learning about himself, testing his magical abilities, and trying to find out exactly how his parents died. He was told they had died in a car accident, but in fact they were murdered by a dark wizard who shall not be named. There's also a hidden secret somewhere in the school. It's the Philosopher's Stone, and someone is trying to steal it. Harry Potter and his friends think they know who it is, but no one will listen without proof. They must find the proof to stop his evil plan. My take by Alex Shrugged, the book was released in the United States in the next year with the title Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because no one in the U.S. knows what a philosopher's stone is anymore. It is a magic rock that turns lead into gold and extends one's life. The legend has been around for centuries, but apparently it is new to Americans. I would sit with my kids for hours reading these books, adding voices and questioning them on odd words. For example, what is a fortnight? It comes from the old English word meaning 14 nights or two weeks. I am a religious man, and some people worry about the magic mentioned in the book. As I read it, the book is respectful of religion. It's not promoting magic. It's simply a story with magic in it. It is a fantasy, as are many of the science fiction stories, by the way. 
I define magic as Arthur C. Clarke did, a technology sufficiently advanced that I cannot distinguish it from magic. If I traveled back in time 200 years and showed them a flashlight, guess what they would think? Burn the witch! The Harry Potter books are just fun stories, as are the movies and TV. Because I didn't take them seriously, my children didn't either. They never tried to obliviate me. What? What was I saying? For the muggles out there, obliviate means to erase someone's memory. I chose this for a couple reasons. Number one, my son loved these books. So much so that we had uh, all of them on audiobook, and he used to listen to this going to sleep every night. Two, I think it's a good lesson in developing a business. I think that what people kind of gloss over now is, This was the genesis of a multi-billion dollar business. One lady writes one book and then continues to write more books, and it doesn't just become a bestseller. It becomes a billion dollar industry. A billion dollar, a multi-billion dollar enterprise. J.K. Rowling is a billionaire, not a multi-millionaire, a billionaire from the Harry Potter books. Which shows you that anybody that really wants to, if they find the right application of their talent, can kill it. And that's something I try to teach on this show all the time. Next up is, you know, Alex kind of touched on the whole witchcraft and wizardry thing. This book got incredibly hateful treatment from a lot of the, I'm not going to say religious right, because it's not fair to the religious right. The extreme fundamentalist religious right nutjobs. Okay, which there's a lot of them, those people. There's a ton of them. Now, why? I mean, come on, J.R.R. Tolkien, right? I didn't read Harry Potter, but I sure as heck read Lord of the Rings when I was growing up. Why? Why? Because this came about in the information age, and because it became so big, so fast, and it was everywhere. And there's a lesson there for you too. When you make an impact, good, bad. Indifferent, doesn't matter. If you make a, a positive impact somewhere, someone's going to have a problem with it and attack you. And the more you're attacked, it's probably the more impact you're having, the more success you're having, and the bigger your future is. Maybe you're the next billionaire and people don't like it. Because I remember hearing, like, if you ever watch, there's a, there's a documentary called Jesus Camp, and the lady in that is freaking nuts. She's like praying over the PowerPoint presenter, uh, PowerPoint uh, projector. And she's, she's like, the Satan demons will not interfere with PowerPoint. And I'm like, you're going to rely on religion for PowerPoint to work over a projector. I don't think you understand anything about PowerPoint and projectors. But uh, in one point, she's preaching to these little kids, and she's telling them that Harry Potter went to hell. <sighs> and these people are reproducing. I just don't know what to say. All right, with that knocked out, I want to remind you about the Member Support Brigade, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to support the show and get more than you put in back. I have discounts to over 70 vendors, and the, the MSB sells all the time for $50 uh, a year, or 5 bucks a month, your choice. Right now, I have it on sale for $30 a year, and if you're a new customer and you join today for $30 a year, your renewal rate gets locked in at $30 a year. If you don't get your $30 back every year from MSB, you're not using the discounts. And I promise you, you're buying stuff that you could be getting at a discount if you just check the benefits page. Folks, please use the MSB when you're members. I know some of y'all just joined to support me. That's great. I appreciate that. I really do. But 
I put the benefits in there for a reason. So if you can benefit from them, check it out. And there's a lot of other stuff in there. We just put you know, all of the videos from the spring workshop in there, the ones from the fall workshop are in there. I'll always be adding those. I've, I've got a deal with, with John Schmata to video them, and I pay him to do that and do the uploading and everything so that you guys can have it. And to get the sale price, if you want to join today and get the sale pr price, the uh, discount code is SPRING17. SPRING17 is the discount code, and you'll get it for... $30 a year. Remember, I'm running it this week because last week I screwed it up. If you have any trouble getting your discount, please contact me by email. Put TSPCMSB in the subject line, and I will square it away. I will fix it for you. I will honor the price. If it doesn't work because of some glitch, don't think somebody's doing something to you, for God's sakes. I've been doing this nine years. I'm not going to screw somebody out of 20 bucks. got one pissed-off, butt-hurt person yesterday. That discount code didn't work, and you're ripping me off. Good Lord. I told him I didn't want his business. I really did. I sent him away. I don't want people like that. Get in touch with me. I'll fix it. And, uh, again, Spring 17 is the discount code. Before we get our special guest on here, I want to remind you, if you want to get started with Bitcoin, probably the easiest place to start is Coinbase. And you can go to the survivalpodcast.com, and you'll see a banner there to go to Coinbase. And if you go to Coinbase... Set up your account and fund it with $100 in Bitcoin. They will give you $10 in Bitcoin. You'll make a 10% return on your money almost immediately, as soon as you get the funding in there. We did come up with a, a, a thing that happened recently when somebody got in touch with me and I wanted to make you aware of. I got an email from somebody that said, hey, I opened my account, I put $100 in it, I didn't get my $10. Bucks. Well, I've been running that banner for like a year now, and I've never heard anybody say they didn't get their $10. Bucks. Um, so I'm like... I don't understand, you know. So I said, did you fund it with, and he said, yes, I bought $50 worth of Bitcoin and $50 worth of Ether. You, you, you can't do that. You have to fund it with $100 worth of Bitcoin uh, to get your $10 in free Bitcoin. However, let's say you wanted $50 bucks of Bitcoin and $50 bucks of Ether. So fund it when you put your initial funding and buy $100 worth of Bitcoin and then sell the Bitcoin and buy Ether. That, that just wait a day and do that. And the way Bitcoin's going, wait a couple days, and you'll be able to buy more than $50 worth of Ether. Um, of course, <laughs> Ether's going up, too. And that's why we have our special guest uh, coming on today, because there is a, a whole bunch going on in this world. And uh, I'm actually reaching out to some other folks, too, on this. I've got a good friend I've been working with for 15 years who's getting into this stuff, too, that I'll be bringing on in the future. Uh, but today we have Brandon Todd. Brandon is a crypto cryptocurrency evangelist with three years of experience using trading cryptocurrencies and about one year of experience minting Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. After first hearing about Bitcoin on TSP, Brandon turned his commute into an education on Bitcoin and other currencies. He has had lots of success with picking the right altcoins for speculative investments and is thinking about how he can get into trading more often to leave his day to someday leave his day job. He's here to talk to us today about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies that you need to check out. With that, hey, Brandon, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. It's an honor to be, an honor to be on the show. Hey, um, we're here to talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dow, all kinds of cool stuff with cryptocurrency. Before we do that, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Like, what you what do you do professionally? Because this is not like your full-time thing, and, and how'd you get there? Just to give them kind of a way that they can connect with you. Yeah, sure. No problem, Jack. Uh, so what I do professionally right now is uh, I'm a mechanical drafter for uh, a company that's uh, in the agricultural industry. So 
I use SolidWorks all day long, 3D, 3D modeling software, and um, I draw up uh, parts and assemblies, and then I also draw up big sites. So that's pretty much what I do. Very cool. And uh, that probably kind of helped you switch on to the technology side of cryptocurrency. Yeah, so, yeah, I've just been, um, you know, I'm a real, God, you know, I've been listening to you for a while now, Jack, and uh, it just really lines up with the way that I think and the way that I am. I'm a real, uh, just by nature, self-directed learner. So uh, concurrently, I've been learning about uh, things like Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies and uh, uh, just computer, computer, I guess, science, I don't know, in general, like uh, Linux and different distributions and how to put them on USB drives and, and boot uh, just using RAM and um, just all kinds of cool stuff. Very cool. So let's start out with the difference between... Bitcoin and Ethereum, it seems to be the two big ones that people know about, and Ethereum has just kind of gone berserk. I bought like $1,200 worth of Ethereum, uh, like, I don't know, a year ago, and it's worth like eight grand now or something like that. Um, what, what is the difference between that? Because I think people kind of struggle with what is, uh, oh, you'll like this, I was pulling my account up just to see in Coinbase where that was. And there's a new announcement in our Litecoin now available in Coinbase, so maybe we'll talk about that too. But let's start out with Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think that would be great. And first off, congratulations, Jack. It's really nice to have that sort of gain that you probably won't found, find in the Dow Jones. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, you know, with Bitcoin, they, I mean, they both have a lot of similar attributes, and they're, and they're very different in different ways too, Um They both have a underlying currency, digital currency, um, that uh, you know is liquid and can be sent around. And uh, they both have different scripting languages where you can program things a little more complicated into into the protocol itself. So, like you know, Bitcoin is sometimes referred to as programmable money, and that's certainly true. Um, but with Ethereum, there's a lot more functionality to be able to program things into, <coughs> excuse me, things that they call smart contracts in Ethereum. So uh, with Bitcoin, you know, it's, it's you're basically sending like a, a block of data across from one point of the blockchain to the other, and it's a, it's got value because uh, the proof of work that it takes to create a Bitcoin is, is scarce. It has scarcity. And the same thing with, with Ethereum in that way. But really, you're just sending a unit of value that has a little bit of programmability into it. You can have multi-sig addresses and uh, you can anchor things to Bitcoin and we can talk to that later with like 2.0 stuff on top of it. But with Ethereum, like if you go on over and you want to know more about it, you, I, I'd urge somebody to go to uh, ethereum.org um, and you can scroll down and you can download their client and that might be a better way to kind of see what I'm talking about. But um, so you will, uh, you know, send some Ethereum to your wallet. You have to purchase some somewhere whether that's directly from Coinbase or on an exchange or something like that, and load up your client. And then there's like a little box that allows you to paste in some uh, code written in Solidity. Um, and so uh, you can execute uh, code on the Ethereum protocol uh, in, a, in a network connected of, of nodes called the EVM or Ethereum Virtual Machine. So kind of like a Java runtime environment where you can interact with programs just using a, a currency in your transaction So think of in the future all kinds of um, you know DApps or decentralized applications that can run in this kind of virtual computer. Can you maybe break that down to a little bit more layman's terms? Because I know there's some people out there going, "What the 
hell did he just say? Let's right. start with a client and executing this code. What does that mean, and why would an individual want to do that right now? Right. So um, as of still now, I mean, Ethereum is still pretty young. Um, I think it launched in 2014. Um, and uh, so... Well, so when I say client, I mean basically just a, a piece of software that you're going to go fetch and you're going to download. So like, so like back up, like the beginning days of Bitcoin, I mean, now there's wallets all over the place. You can have a mobile wallet on your phone. Um, there's exchange wallets. There's paper wallets. I mean, there's all kinds of different wallets, and we might talk about that later too. But in the beginning with Bitcoin, it was just the client that you would download. And when I say client with Bitcoin in the beginning, it was called Bitcoin Core. It still is Bitcoin Core. And it was a software package with a GUI or graphics user interface that's familiar to, to everybody is just like, you know, touch, drag, click, uh, things that you can interface with as a human. And um, it would have a wallet built into it where you could store your private keys or Bitcoin. And then um, it would also have a console, another, you know, basically tab that you could click on and run some uh, just some commands. And one of those is mining. So in the beginning, you could mine Bitcoin with that same client that also had your wallet. Um, and so, and it was also a node that would um, collect all of the blocks that were signed, you know, by whoever. Uh, all the all the transactions, you know, there's a there's a network of nodes that verify transactions in the Bitcoin blockchain, and then somebody, and then a bunch of uh, clients or nodes uh, compete to win the right to wed those transactions into the blockchain, known as a block. And so your client would then keep track of all of those in a linear fashion. So it would be like a, a full blockchain client or a full client or a full node. So it would, it would verify transactions. It would also have the opportunity to wed those transactions into the blockchain if it had one, um, you know, against the other computers, just basically doing some math known as SHA-256. Um, so that's, that's the client in the beginning days of Bitcoin. And with Ethereum, the client is, is sort of like that, too. Um, I'm not sure if you can mine with the client that they have right now, but they're they're releasing it. But basically, if you just go, it's called Mist. If you go to Ethereum.org, I'm sorry if I'm getting out into the weeds, but if you go to Ethereum.org and you scroll down and it says, you know, do you want to download Mist? That's basically the wallet, and in that wallet, it also has the functionality that I talked about to paste in some code. And so, obviously, most of us don't write Solidity code. I certainly do not. I'm guessing probably none of us here do. Um, there might be I certainly do not write code yeah. of any kind. I can do about three lines of PHP, and that's it. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're about where I'm at, too, with that stuff. I mean, I could do a little bit of C++ to, to mess around and change some things with my Pies and Arduinos. But, but anyway, um, so they have some like kind of boilerplate code, code or some frameworks that you can try and download. And it's just like skeleton. You just copy and paste literally into your client. And so one of them is, do you want to create your own cryptocurrency? So then there's like... I don't know, like 50 lines of code, and you just copy and paste it, and you paste it into your client. You spend a little bit of Ethereum, and then you just uh, you're asked to you're then prompted to put up your parameters. Like, what do you want to call this uh, cryptocurrency? You call it Jack Spirko coin or TSP coin or whatever, and you could say I only want there to be a thousand of them, or you could say I don't want it to be capped at this time. And so you, that's one thing that you can do with Ethereum. Um, another thing that they have is they have something called like the Blockchain Congress or something. I think it's basically a voting machine. I haven't played with that one yet. And then they have another one that's basically just a, uh, an outline of uh, a decentralized autonomous organization or a DAO. 
Um, and th there was one of those that was really big that um, kind of went down in flames. And, and we may maybe this is a good place to kind of parlay into that. I'm not sure. But as of right now, to, to sum up your question, um, for the for any of us, really, this is it's not usable too much yet to be able to go onto Ethereum and just start making your own stuff unless you're a Solidity dev. Um, but I'll tell you that there's a lot of companies and groups, some open source, some closed source, that are looking into Ethereum that are doing just that. Uh, some of them that just came out recently, one of them is called Gollum, um, and that's got its own token now. So they created their own cryptocurrency with its own set of rules. And, and inside of that uh, contract with that coin, um, they aim to uh, allow people to rent out their computer hardware uh, CPU power and or space, too, I think. So people oh. in third world countries like Sri Lanka or whatever, maybe uh, if they need some computing power, they can get some Gollum tokens and then rent other people's stuff to be able to do computationally intensive things or get their business off the ground or whatever they need to do. So it's kind of kind of connecting the world on a global level with a lot of these things. Yeah, I, my understanding is there's been some stuff going on in the East Coast where we leave some tech shows and that Microsoft is sniffing around Ethereum now. And that's yeah. part of why we've had this this run-up. Actually, before we get into the DAO issue, though, let's talk about Ethereum a little bit more. Because I learned this when I when I got my first uh, mining client and started playing around with mining clients. And I didn't make any damn money with it. it was It's it's really slow, honestly. But it, it did kind of open me up to all these other currencies and how they are and how they interact. And I learned in that that there's two Ethereums. Like, there's Coke and Coke Classic, right? There's Ethereum yeah. and, like, Classic Ethereum or something like that. What's the deal with that? Yeah, so that came about from a hard fork um, that didn't get snubbed off and just kept going. So um, so they both have the same common ancestor um, way back in the day. But So basically, uh, we could get into that, and it's uh, it all comes from the DAO uh, that I was just mentioning. Okay. So there was um, a group of people that decided to make one of these uh, DAPs or Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Basically, it was a crowdfund in the beginning. It was like a multi-stage thing. And it, and it was called The DAO, which is confusing because it's a DAO, and I then they you. called it The DAO, right? So uh, basically, you would take some of your Ethereum and you would send it to uh, an Ethereum DAO address, and then it would exchange your Ethereum for whatever rate they were charging for the DAO tokens. I participated in this crowdfund because I was very excited about the possibilities. And so the idea was we would all get these DAO tokens exchanged from our Ethereum. So now we kind of have a currency, a sub-currency underneath Ethereum inside of the Ethereum world, right? And then... Um, uh, there was these proposals that were going to be trotted out, and then we were going to be able to vote with these DAO tokens to support uh, whichever proposal got the most DAO tokens would then would then win the funding and be able to fund their uh, developers and whatever. So one of the one of the teams that uh, the front runner that I was excited about was called Slock.it, and I just checked, and they still have a working website, which is. Kind of weird because they are totally dead in the water. I mean, maybe they'll eventually get funding doing something. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, so Slock.it was going to uh, make these things called slocks, which were these mechanical, you know, different types of locks that you could interact with on the Ethereum virtual machine or on this smart contract. Um, so you, uh, so anyway, so the DAO tokens. You would be able to vote for which for which team was going to get their funding. So there was a, like a two week window, and the proposals were were out there. One of them was Slock.it. There was another one that was going to do automated driverless cars or something like that. 
and there was going to be more uh, proposals coming up, I think, in that week. And and then so uh, all of a sudden what happened was, and I guess I, some people call it a hack, but I would call it more of just an exploit um, because they didn't really hack anything. They just used the code as it was written. There was basically a bug written in the contract and somebody figured this out, some very smart Solidity dev read the code and said, if I read this right, there's a three-step process to uh, create a child DAO after the two-week window. I can turn that back into Ethereum and get my money out. And so there, he figured out that there's like a, a three-step process. So you would send, you would first prove that you have the Ethereum um, on the Ethereum blockchain and then you would send them to a new child DAO address. And then the third step is somehow you were supposed to prove prove the burn of Ethereum. But he figured out that you could skip the proof of burn. Well, I should say he or she or them, I don't know, could skip the proof of burn and then go back to step one. So this person had, let's say, I don't know, a thousand Ethereum or a thousand DAO tokens. And so they would go in and prove that they have them. Okay, check. All right, send them to the new address. Okay, sure. And then I'll go back and uh, prove the burn. Oh, I'm skipping that part. Okay, go back to the first step. Oh, I have them. Okay, check. So all of a sudden, he started like double, triple, mul- multiple spending these things to an address. And he executed this, uh, well, this person executed this at a time when he, they figured that all of the uh, Ethereum devs would be asleep. And at the time, I think they were all pretty much European. So whatever you time zones in the middle of the night at two in the morning, they executed this attack and then they started waking up and getting alerts and people would say, hey, the DAO fund address is draining. And they, how can that be? It's not even two weeks before we are going to submit our votes. And so they figured out that somebody was doing this. And then it turned into this crazy white hat on black hat hacker kind of, uh, I don't know. So there was like this, this black hat. They considered this person to be kind of going against the consensus and stealing the, the DAO tokens or the Ethereum into this address. And then the, the, the devs decided, hey, we got to basically beat this person at their own game. It's the only way to stop this. So they went and talked to all the whales or the people that invested a lot in the DAO and gathered up all of their money that they could get in a hurry, put it into one address and started doing the same attack to drain it faster than the attacker. Okay. So, yeah, so they were able to um, get a lot of that money down to where they drained the DAO down to about nothing. But there was still all this damage done. And so they decided on a few different options to go back. And, and so one of them was proposed as a soft fork, um, which is basically um, is backwards and forwards compatible. Uh, but that there was and then there was a hard fork, which was basically we're going to go back in time and we're going to say that this never happened. And we're going to just carry on with Ethereum or ETH. And ultimately what happened was the, the hard fork got voted on and passed in consensus sure. as well. So they, they started mining that chain, but there was a lot of people, um, and I'm, I'm, I partially understand this crowd and I'm with them on some points that, hey, you know, a lot of the reason why we're excited about Ethereum is because it was supposed to be code that was immutable. It was supposed to be not changeable. And now here you go. Somebody does something you don't like and you change it. Well, that's, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of why I invested in this in the first place. So, um, so then those people kind of gained some support and then they, they kept on with Ethereum Classic, which st- still has all this DAO biz- business in it. Um, but you know, that's just one contract and they just let it be like, you know, they're, they're thinking is there shouldn't be too big to fail in this space. Uh, that's why we're into cryptocurrencies in the first place. Um, so there you have it. Now there's two, all of a sudden there's two, uh, Ethereum. There's a so Ethereum if I could put that into maybe more layman's, basically the hard fork was like executing a restore point on your computer and then changing the future. Right. Exactly. Like you, you changed it to be something different. And yeah, yeah, we just we're just going to erase that, 
and we're going to close that exploit when we do that. Exactly. I'm sorry if I got too technical. No, no, no. That's I, fine. I, I that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah, that's that's. I want to make sure I'm getting that right. That's what I got out of that. They they basically went back to a prior point in the development, started there, and by hard fork, you I mean you can't you can't change it and go back again. It's now that way forward, and and exactly. that that piece there is gone. Whatever was lost was lost. But now we can, we know the weakness, so we're going to imp improve the security. Exactly. That's exactly it. So then I learned about another thing when I was playing around with this miner. Um, I think it's called Minergate was the one I was playing with. Um, thing called Dash. What is Dash, and why should people care? There's actually there's actually two. There's a Dash and a Dash Coin or something like that too, right? Yeah, there's. I mean, I can't even keep up with all the different uh, clones and um, other coins, subcoins that people make. That you know, I think a lot of those other ones that you're looking at that you see that we all see pop up are, are just there to try to steal us away from the real market of Dash and to try to like you know get in on their name and kind of get us over. And, and some of them might be pump and dumps. And so, just as a word of caution, I would tell anybody that's you know kind of tiptoeing into this space. Uh, you know, an altcoin is considered anything that's not Bitcoin, basically, and that in the altcoin world, man, you know, I just an estimate, I'd say probably 80 to 90 percent of them are complete scams, um, pump and dump. Uh, you know, it's it is what it is. It's unregulated, and so there's going to be a lot of that out there, right? It's kind of the wild west. But so, I mean, I can't I can't say all the other Dash variants are, are that way. I haven't looked into them, but I know I know with pretty good degree of certainty that Dash certainly is not. Dash is a, something worthwhile that I believe. So the the one the regular Dash D A S H that you're talking about is a uh, is a coin that came about again around 2014, and uh, I think it started out as X Coin, and then shortly after that uh, it got branded as Dark Coin. Um, and I picked up a bunch of them when it was dark coin. Uh, I remember having a dark coin uh, client, and it was uh, it was something that has a little more anonymity in the blockchain and the currency itself than Bitcoin. Because it, you know, people that are getting into Bitcoin, they they hear all this stuff about it, and they think, oh, it's anonymous internet money. And, And, and to some extent, it's a it's it's sort of anonymous to where you don't have a login, you don't have a user, you don't have a password. Okay, so it's not directly connected with your name because you typed it in there. But with some blockchain forensics, it's it, it can be not so hard for them to figure out your IP address if you're using the same public address on your um, your Bitcoin wallet. Uh, You know, they can trace it back to your identity. They've been able to do that with Bitcoin somewhat. If you don't use a coin join or a mixer where you, you mix, you mix up the transactions basically where they can't see where it's going or coming from. But with uh, Dash, it's got some of that functionality built into its default. So it's got a coin mixing functionality, um, at least in the master node, I know for sure. Cause that's kind of, this is a hard one to explain without getting too, that's my problem. I get too technical, but, um, so it, it, going back to the history, it started it started as Xcoin. It got it went to Darkcoin, and then because um, kind of the name Darkcoin, it's like hey, we're a little more anonymous. So that was attractive, and then uh, some people got into it and rebranded it and called it Dash because they wanted to get away from Darkcoin being associated with the dark web and all this kind of negative yeah. branding. So I think that was a very very smart move. And uh, it's done very, very well since then. And people are understanding the uh, benefits of having anonymity. Um, that, you know, people are waking up to that. I think people have always um, – there's always been people that value that. But, yeah, so it's it's uh, taken off. It's got a, it's got a two, two 
two-tier uh, blockchain, there's regular transactions like Bitcoin that are processed by nodes, um, and then there's what are called master nodes. So to operate, and they're in the same network, but they have a specific functionality of instant send where they spin up a quorum of federated nodes. So they spin up like, I don't even know, like five or ten at a time randomly, and then um, they have the right to send instant transactions. Um, and to, to operate a master node, you have to have a thousand dash, and then you can run the software. You have to put it in basically it's like a proof of stake um, address that you'll put it in, and then you can uh, operate a master node. I'm kicking myself because I thought about getting into that back in around the dark coin time, and it was like a little under a dollar, so it had been a little under a thousand dollars to get into a master node. But um, now it's God, eighty eighty grand to get a master node, right? So, um, and the cool thing is, is with Dash, like well, with Bitcoin. Let's hold there a second. What does it mean to get a, a master node? What does that mean? Okay, so basically it means that you're now uh, participating on um, uh, verifying transa instant transactions. So you're, uh, so like with Bitcoin, all of the block rewards go to the miners, like 100%, right? Yep. So. Yep. With Dash, it's split 45, 45, and 10. So 45% of the transaction uh, block rewards go to the miners in the Dash blockchain and protocol, and then 45 go to the masternodes. So basically, if you have a thousand Dash and you, you just go to like dash.org and say, you know, I want to set up a masternode and you follow the directions, you send those Dash to a specific address that you're saying, I'm staking these coins. I'm not going to move these coins. Uh, and, you know, you can eventually you can shut down your masternode and move them. But then I'm staking these coins. So it's like proof of stake. So I have collateral. I have reason to have incentive, uh, to be honest. And then that you run uh, software that that uh, gets you into being able to send instant transactions. So if you run if you if you uh, use a dash client and you select instant send instead of regular send. So basically in, instant transaction, you know, with Bitcoin right now, things are very, very slow. Um, they used to be like 10 minutes. But now, because of the block size debate, all the blocks are full. Uh, things are going over. This fee market has sprung up. So if you want a, a quicker Bitcoin transaction, you have to attach an extra fee. And with Dash, you can send literally an instant transaction. Because in Bitcoin, that's kind of killing the the small retail market right now, which mm -hmm. still isn't that big. But like you can't, if you're a store and you want to accept Bitcoin, and people want to come in and buy a Coke, uh, well. You know, I can't. I got to wait around what for half an hour before I know if this guy, you know, <laughs> gave me the money or not. You know, okay. so with Dash, uh, I mean, it's just as fast as Visa and Mastercard. It's like millisecond. Boom, it's done. And so that's what the master nodes do. So if you buy uh, a master node, basically, you're buying the right to be the processor. Exactly. All right. That instant transaction, right? So it would be um, like having a, a a piece of the the Visa mercantile market. Is the that's a great like that. analogy? Yeah. Okay, I got you. I got yep. you. And then they have another uh, functionality too. It's called Dark Send, um, and so it's like that coin mixing uh, service that's built inside too. So um, it's just basically if you want to anonymize your Dash and basically you know uh, dissociate it with any sort of IP address, then you basically it just creates like a coin join where there's other people that are dark sending, and it just mixes all the inputs and outputs, and so nobody knows. Everybody gets the same amount in that, that went out, but nobody knows exactly which private key is held by who anymore. Which is great so for in fun. other words, if I wanted to pay you for something with it, I could pay you with it, and no one can figure out who paid who for what. Exactly. Only the parties that are involved in the transaction know the, the nature of the transaction. 
Right, which is which is crucial for fungibility. Yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, it absolutely is, and it's also it also opens up the whole concept of agorism. I mean, like yeah. that cha that changes everything because people are like, well, how how can you actually make an agorist type business scalable? Because if you're selling tacos to your neighbors, you can do that in an agora model. Which for those maybe that don't know that term, basically what that means is it's like gray market. Um, you know, right. you're supposed to have a license to sell tacos, and you're supposed to sell, pay taxes on the tacos that you sold, right? And, and right. there's people doing this all the time anyway, but how much scale can they get out of that business? And it's the kind of thing people look the other way with, except for the blue hairs that call and say, you know, Tom's selling tacos to John. Like, you really don't have anything better to do with your life. But if you can exchange cryptocurrency in seconds, and no one can figure out what went where... And this becomes more and more user-friendly over time. I mean, that's something we've seen. Like, in the beginning, Bitcoin was, like, impossible to use unless you were a genius. And now anybody can use Bitcoin. So, right. like, that scalability creates that Agora scalability. Right. Exactly. So yeah. we should really care mostly about Dash because it's, it's quick, which is what it sounds like, and it can be completely anonymous. Yeah, it, it can be anonymous. It's quick. So it, you know, if you're a business and you want to accept it for a retail, uh, smaller items, I mean, Dash is going to be better than Bitcoin at this point. Um, and I mean, as a speculative investment too, it's something to look into. Um, I mean, I don't know, you know, where it's, where it's going to go, but I'll tell you that, you know, I picked a, a, up a bunch of them under a dollar. And so, uh, there's these opportunities that just keep coming. In this space, and so it's like minimum wage investing, man. I was just thinking about this concept the other day. Like, I'll bet you there's a lot of people out there that make minimum wage that smoke cigarettes, and so I mean it's like eight dollars a pack. So what if you just yeah. kick the habit? That's like a yeah. hundred dollars a month, and you just started investing a hundred dollars a month in this space on your minimum wage job. I mean, you could really get yourself out of you know a, maybe poverty, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. But it's like it's like anything, right? Like you said, like there's a whole bunch of these coins that are nothing right. but pump and dump. So Like, what do you look for when you're trying to figure out, like, well, what's the next altcoin that I'm going to throw 500 bucks at or something like that? Because, I mean, we talked earlier about how it was 1100 bucks. by the way. I looked at my account, 1100 bucks, and it's worth almost almost $8,000 today in Ethereum. That was some fortuitousness, but, I mean, like, what would that have been if I, you know, gotten in on Ethereum when it was a buck? And I had, you know, threw $10,000 at it. Like, that's what people are looking to do now. But right. you can get burned. I mean, it's basically... It's basically like an unregulated stock market in some ways. So how do we separate the penny stock that is doesn't even it's a shell corporation from the entity that truly has something behind it that's going to be something? Yeah, that's all very very good points, and it's a great question, Jack. And I just want to reiterate, like you know, I don't advocate anybody come into this space and throw anything that they just can't afford to lose. Um, you know, I tiptoed into the space and still continue to tiptoe into this space. You know, what I did was I just set up like, uh, you know, $50 out of every paycheck and I was just going to start spending it on just whatever uh, uh, investments in this space as far as, as that. And like I found something that was kind of budget neutral, like I'm going to cut out eating out a couple times a week and then I'm just going to take that money and waste it on something else. So then it's like I'm not really losing anything. Right. But so anyway, more your question, uh, what I look for, number one, I just consume a ton of information a week. Um, and so I'd like to just plug one place where I get some of my best information that I think has changed my life in this, play, in this space. And if you have the time, I know a lot of people don't have time to listen to podcasts. 
but if you have a commute or something, or you can fit a podcast in a day or a couple of week, uh, it's called Let's Talk Bitcoin. Dot com, and they're kind of like a website, and then they have uh, maybe like seven to ten different podcasts that kind of rotate through there. Seven to ten different people that are doing shows on that network. Um, one of the really good ones is that the person that started that website, Adam B. Levine, um, he goes on as the host, and he connects a lot of times with another guy named Andreas Antonopoulos, and then Stephanie Murphy will come on there. And they put out a really good show, and, and if anybody's getting into the space, somebody to just to, to start – Listening to and check out, at least just give him a good look and listen to what he has to say a few times, is Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, and then, uh, so I listen to them a lot, and it gives me the opportunity to listen to a lot of CTOs come out and give their pitch and talk about what they're doing and their team. And then I look them up, I check out the conferences, I see where their models are. Um, typically, I don't like to uh, put my money into anything that's under a $1 million market cap um, because you might get on the wrong side of a trade and not be able to exit. Um, and that's just something I've started recently doing. I started looking a little bit more at that. But, you know, uh, just check it out. Make sure that they have, like, sometimes it's just a really fancy website and that's it. But see if they have a GitHub. Um, you know, so a GitHub is like a repository where they'll put pieces of code and if they're actively working on a project. So a sheer sign of a scam is, like, it's really flashy marketing. They got, like, one website with some little cool-looking sliders, and it's super generic and sounds like it's going to save the world and unicorns. And then there's no GitHub. There's no real uh, people <laughs> you've heard about in this space. Like, there's no way to tell that they're doing any actual work. So I'd stay away from stuff like that. But if you see people, like, breaking off some really big-time devs from Ethereum to go work on another project, and they've got a name to stake, or Bitcoin devs or something like that, some big people, you know, like Peter Todd or or whoever else, uh, or if you see other people support it, you know, like Vitalik Buterin or somebody like that, that's, that's something worth a look. And so that's kind of what I do, um, getting into the space and kind of figuring out who's who and what's what is a good thing to do. Take a couple months and just get to know this, this uh, universe or this space, you know, don't be aware of FOMO or fear of missing out. Don't get caught up in that. Oh, yeah. They're almost panicky, man. They're like, oh, man, I got $500 and I want you to invest it in whatever. And I'm like, first off, I'm not going to take your money. Yeah. That's, you know. And next off, like, just settle down. Like, go and read for a couple of months. Learn this stuff, you know, and then you can do it yourself. But there's some I think this is a there. growth market and there's going to be opportunities for a long time. And I think that's what people are right. – I, I'm smelling the dot-com boom mentality, right? When people were just, like, throwing money at anything with a dot-com or a dot-net in it. And, I mean, I think that, like, would allay some fears when people are like, well, you know, this could get out of hand. Well, it got out of hand in the freaking Dow Jones, right? So, yes. so like, right. regulation doesn't prevent that. And I think the lack of regulation should make people more astutely aware. And then an open-source model, because when somebody's got, like, uh, what was it, world.globe.com or something? It was like one of the darlings of the dot-com first release, and it doesn't even exist anymore. And they had no revenue, and they were like a, a, a billion-dollar market cap on day one or something like that. Like, right. they were not compelled to put out, like, well, what are you doing, really? Like, they can put out a, a prospectus nobody reads or whatever, but not the underlying core code of their business model on GitHub. Like, that. Right. that is something that's actually, you know... Because people in this space that really know a lot more than you and I, they can smell bullshit and they know when code's bullshit and they actually kind of like get off on pointing it out. Right. Like they, they, they want to be like, oh, this is crap. This will never work. Right. So like when you have some guy that's been right every time telling you that, don't put your money there. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just a it's a huge paradigm shift that's going on with uh, with money and, and the concept of that right now. Um, you know, I've gone through some tremendous changes just going down this rabbit hole. But you know, it just amazes me still, like how switched off like most people are to their own finances. Like they don't even know what they're invested in or who's taking care of their money or and just the whole system. Like it's all FDIC insured and, oh, well, there's chargebacks. And so we just can all just be completely asleep and not worry about what we're doing at all. Where it's like in this space, you really got to start, you got to be, you got to be switched on and you got to pay attention. And it's up to you to secure your own bank. I mean, because with Bitcoin, you know, you're the bank of Jack and I'm the bank of Brandon. And it's up to us to make sure at the end of the day that we have the right security in place, whether we're going to outsource most of that to Coinbase or whether we're going to put that into paper wallets and store it in a gun safe. You know, we got to come up with our own things. And I think that's good. I think it's good that people start to understand things. You're going to learn a lot. And I think it's good for people to start taking a more active role in their own Finances, and so with this space too, you got to do your research. And I think uh, this lends well to to the TSP community because there's more people in this community, I think, that are that are awake and that aren't switched off like that financially, and they do want more control and they want to uh, learn more. And so, and they, I think they're a little more conservative as general too, as far as like being cautious about uh, things like that. So yeah, you got you got to do your research. See, and I like one of the things I always look at is, well, what's the what's the purpose of this? What does this do that all these other currencies and coins don't do? How will this how will this have value aside from the point that somebody said, "Oh, it's a currency"? Right? Exactly. So, like, Bitcoin was the first mover. It, it it kind of brought the whole blockchain technology to the world. It, it obviously has the the staying power. It has a lot of faith in it. Right. When when Ethereum came out, to me, the big thing was this is designed for other companies to take and run their tokens on. Yes. Right. So that's like okay. Well, that does something Bitcoin doesn't do. Dash. It's fast. It's 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 completely anonymous. Like, it, so it has a differentiating characteristic where there's a lot of stuff like, well, what does it do? Because we're, we're going to talk in a little bit about how people can make their own currency. And one of the reasons I've never made like TSP coin or something like that is I don't have a development team. I don't know that it would be a good thing for anybody if I did that. Right. But right. if it was built into some sort of Community interaction on the back of Ethereum in that world, maybe it would be. So, like, Ethereum brings that to the table. So I always want to know, when I hear about these new currencies, what the hell are they bringing to the table? Um, and if it's saving manatees or some shit, like, okay, no, buy Because you're, you're yes. not going to do that, right? That's <laughs> We don't need a cryptocurrency to do that. Um, yeah, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something I see here in your notes called MadeSafe. What is MadeSafe, and why should our audience care about it? Yeah, so so MadeSafe actually predates uh, Bitcoin, uh, which is a little known fact. Uh, they've been working on this now for like 10 years. So um, some people are kind of like, you know, you need to crap or get off the pot here. But um, but I, I really, really like MadeSafe. Uh, they have a really good community. They seem to have a really good developer group. Um, I think David Irvine uh, started it. Uh, and he's in Truen, Scotland, and you can go to, I think it's madesafe.net. Um, we could provide some maybe links at the end of the show or whatever, but so MadeSafe basically is, um, is, is trying to challenge the whole client server model of the internet. Um, and I know that you're familiar with this, Jack, but like for the audience, like, you know, your computer or your iPhone or your laptop, anything with a MAC address that connects to the, to the network of the internet is a client. And then the server, 
you know, as a server is where you, uh, if you go to google.com and you get your information and that, that just, uh, I don't know, it, it, uh, lends to cloud, you know, cloud based systems where they can mine your data. It loud, it lends to choke points, uh, these big honeypots called servers where hackers are always going to be able to get in, steal information, credit card stuff. Um, and just the layers of the internet itself are not, are not built for security. Um, and so with, with MadeSafe, they've come up with this idea of, well, kind of like I was talking a little bit earlier with Gollum, but uh, MadeSafe is a little different where they want to have, if you want to join the MadeSafe network, then you will lend some of your computer uh, hard drive space and then you can earn some safe coin that you can use on, uh, it's, I think it's going to be free to view all the applications, but um, I, I'm not exactly sure what you spend the MadeSafe coin on because it's still not, they don't have a, a release yet. They have some alpha things that I participated in. Um, but anyway, it's, it's basically going to be a decentralized internet where um, every all of your information, if you want to store something on the internet, it gets sent into the network and it gets client-side encrypted and it gets uh, broken up into five different chunks. So not anybody would even have the entire encrypted key anyway. And then there's like a five-fold uh, redundancy factor too. So they are constantly metering and keeping track of what computers are going offline and coming online. So if I'm participating in the MadeSafe network and I'm storing somebody's data, I don't even know who, it doesn't matter because it's encrypted anyway, and I shut off my computer, um, well then the network will realize that and then take a copy of that data and add another copy to another computer and keep moving it around. So basically it's trying to, in a nutshell, it's trying to you know, get away from this client-server model and be a decentralized internet of sorts. Gotcha. So you you can't you can't hack it because all you can ever get is a piece and you don't know where the other piece is. Exactly. There's it's no kind of like a treasure there. hunt where they find the one piece of the map here and the one piece of the map there, but you know, it, it's it's not all in a in a cave with uh, one-eyed Willie the pirate protecting it. It's it's all over the world. Right. Exactly. And they're going to do something a little different than a blockchain-based system. Um, I'm not. Totally technically familiar with all the details, but I think they're using IPFS, interplanetary, oh, God, I forget what it stands for, but um, distributed hash tables. Um, when I'm reading about Ethereum, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's really, really intriguing, interesting stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, not Ethereum, but MadeSafe. And, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I'm really excited about about MadeSafe. Uh, they have a good dev team. Um, you know, they're... Uh, they have a good community that are really excited about it. I, I would like to see them have some success. Uh, I played around a little bit. There was like a launcher, and then you could create your own simple web page that I did last year, but then that must have become outdated, and maybe they have a new one now because I just tried it the other day, and it doesn't work. But um, we'll see where they're going with it. But it's kind of hard to uh, really see what these things are going to be in the end because you know they're not quite done yet. Like that and like Factum is another one where it's um, can't quite use it yet, so it's hard to tell exactly what it's going to be. Very cool. So, um, what is fact factum? That's another thing you have here in your notes. What is factum, and why should we care about factum? Yeah. So, so factum. I think you know, getting back to what you were saying earlier, like what makes this different than Bitcoin, and what kind of problem are they trying to solve, or or, or what value are they adding? And so, factum is um, a protocol that is is trying to solve problems in the mortgage. And like title industry services, and I guess you know I'm not I'm not totally familiar with that industry, but I guess there's lots of paperwork, and I guess it's just all over the place, and it can be hard to 
understand all of the things that were changed throughout a, a process of a mortgage or a process of some of these title transactions. And so um, Factum is a way to notarize these things and put it on its blockchain. And another cool uh, sort of application that I've heard of a couple times, thinking of Factum, if people described another application for it, is let's say there's uh, let's say there's uh, like a a civil war in some country, you know, some third world country, and then another government, one of the gov- whatever faction wins and says we are now the government, and a bunch of homes were destroyed, and people can't prove uh, that they own the land. Maybe those the buildings that had the ownership records were destroyed. And so maybe that new government just says, well, I'll tell you, you can prove that this was your farm. I'm, it's the government's now. And so that happens. So what Factum can do is you can you can upload these notarized uh, documents to a blockchain that's specifically for that. So, you know, you think about the implications of that, of being able to prove ownership of these these types of instruments or whatever. It's kind of cool for the third world, especially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how things are private and secure and more so than Bitcoin. We talked a little bit about Dash, but there's also something called Monero. Can you kind of talk about how they provide that additional security and maybe anonymity? Yeah, so uh, Monero has gotten really popular with the uh, dark markets over in the, the EU, and that's that's really helped its price rise in the last uh, six months or so. But so Monero is like a, it uses what are called ring signatures to where I think the way it works is you, you join a group and then everybody has signatures in that group and the same amount of inputs and outputs, but they can't really tell you know, who is signing what. And it's if you try to go on a block explorer of, of uh, Monero and you try to search even for somebody's public address, like you can't. It just creates like a very obfuscated, ambiguous blockchain record to where the only person that can see their transaction is the person that has the spending key and the private key. So there's like this double key system that they use. Of course, there's a public key too where you send the funds to like with Bitcoin. But um, So it just has a, a lot more anonymity broken into the signature schemes of, of Monero. So it's... Uh, it gets away from what I was talking about earlier, how they can connect your IP address to your public address with Bitcoin, with Monero. It's extremely difficult, if not impossible. Gotcha. I mean, I think that what what you you start to think about when you look at all this is, like just what you said there, like it's it's popular in the dark market in the EU. So if, if there's any kind of problem in the world that one of these coins addresses, it will probably be used to address it and therefore create greater demand for it. And most, not all these coins, uh, but most of these coins are built in a deflationary model where if they're adopted and used, their value has to go up because the use reduces the amount available. There's a finite limit to how many are created. Most of the ones I've seen that made it do that. Um, and so that is something to look at when you think of it as an investment as well. Absolutely. And Monero is another coin like that. So with Bitcoin, roughly about 21 million coins will ever exist. And with Monero, 18.4 roughly will ever exist. So, again, it's deflationary. Unlike some of these others, some of these are not, but most of them that have that value proposition, they do have a cap supply that's predictable. And that's that's a good investment vehicle um, but some of them, like uh, like Ethereum right now, it's ambiguous. I mean, I've heard of them doing this thing called an Ice Age 
coming up where it's like a difficulty bomb where it makes it almost entirely impossibly difficult to mine and then they want to switch to a proof of stake uh, system in the future and I'm not even exactly sure technically what that looks like but that's a phase that they, they're calling Casper but eventually they might get to where it's deflationary as well but at this point it's inflationary uh, so it's it's interesting too as far as that the price that an Ethereum is fetching right now but of course there's a choke a choke point of how much is ever available at any given time and the demand is out exceeding that right now but in the long term with Ethereum, that's that's my concern as far as an investment is some of that uh, inflationary. Uh, and then, of course, Steemit. Uh, you know, I, I really like the idea. And I've heard you mention Steemit before, too, on, on here, Jack. But but I just don't understand their economic model of supply. It just seems like, no. you know, if you keep dumping this stuff out, out onto, the, onto the market, then, I mean, it's not going to be worth anything. You know, it well, any and, value. like, there's no... Like my other problem with Steam, it is it, it's kind of like a Reddit or a Dig or something like that where people vote on things and or like a Facebook Lite or whatever. And when you do something like you say you like like it or whatever, you basically give the person a little bit of steam. Um, and if you look at it, there's no value for value exchange as far as I can tell. It's like a popularity contest: who can write the next cool article about steam? Like those are all the articles that get lots of steam. So, like, the, the whole concept of having a social network that would work with cryptocurrency would be, be to me, if I put something out on that network and you're like, holy shit, that's going to save me money today, and you gave me a dollar's worth of Ethereum, well, then that would make sense. Like, you're just saying, like, this guy saved me money today or kept me from making a mistake today or pointed out that, like, there was something dangerous going on, and I, and I want to reward this person, kind of like a, a social tithing, I guess. That right. would kind of make sense, but the concept that... You know, you could just write the next... I didn't see... When I looked at it, and maybe it's changed right now, but when I looked at it, everything that was popular was some article talking about Steam, which yeah. it's like the it's like intellectual masturbation at that point or something. It can't be sustainable. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with you, too. I mean, I, I wanted to like it, and it's exciting to see that that thing grow into social media, but I just I'm just not sure about their model, so I've never really bought any Steam. Okay. Yeah. You, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let, let's talk about some more definitions. I think definitions help people understand what's going on. Right. In, in, in cryptocurrencies, what is counterparty, and how can you make your own cryptocurrency today? Right. So uh, so counterparty is, just, is another platform, um, and so counterparty only offers an, an online wallet right now. Uh, think think of I mean counterparty is also a term right in uh, in risk but uh, counterparty that we're talking about here counterparty.io is just think of it like Bitcoin in a way but so uh, basically with counterparty you can go to counter counterparty.io um, and then you can uh, load the web page of a, a counter wallet and then basically you create a wallet with a 12 word seed. And then uh, you load some Bitcoin into the wallet, and then you also load some XCP or counterparty token into the wallet. Um, and then basically you can create your own cryptocurrency there too. So you can create like TSP coin or Jack coin, or, or I could create Brandon coin, and I can issue hover. So sort of like what we're talking about again in Ethereum with a smart contract model. But counterparty had this functionality before Ethereum uh, came along and started uh, really rolling out their missed client and offering that sort of thing. But um, so it's just another it's another type of um, 
it's another type of platform to be able to create crypto assets or crypto tokens. You could issue, you could create something like called tickets. And then if like everybody, or you could do a rewards program. And if everybody was nerdy enough and had a counter wallet on their phone and showed up to your event, um, and you, you could say, well, I, I offered a hundred tickets to certain people. And if they, they could cryptographically prove them that they had a ticket, you know, so, uh, it's another way to create a token. And you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about if you go to counterparty.io and then go to counter wallet and create a wallet. And then you load a little bit of Bitcoin. And so what it does basically is, is it doesn't have its own blockchain. Um, it uses the Bitcoin blockchain as security. So it's kind of like Bitcoin 2.0 platform. So there's like some metadata that's inside uh, that is hashed to a Bitcoin transaction. So it's like anchored to a Bitcoin transaction. So um, that's why you have to use Bitcoin with counterparty because they don't have their own blockchain and the Bitcoin blockchain is the most immutable, secure blockchain on planet Earth. So uh, as long as that, that information is hashed to Bitcoin transaction, then it's as unchangeable or immutable as a Bitcoin transaction is. So that's one way to think of it. So, yeah, I, I actually it's kind of funny story. I'm that guy that bugged you a couple times. I created some TSP coin. Uh, oh. And I sent you an email, and I was like, hey, man, I'm just cyber-squatting this, Jack, in case somebody else tries to steal your name. And so if you ever want this, I'll totally turn over the rights to you, and you can have this coin. So I was just, like, you know, messing around with uh, Counterparty, and I was like, oh, I'll make some TSP coin in case if he ever decides he wants to do something like that, I'll just give it to him, you know? I but don't even remember that. It, must it probably be, went to your spam filter. It probably you know? did. Uh, yeah. Even with the TSPC thing, sometimes, I mean, just the volume alone, I missed stuff. So there's a, there is a TSP coin out there somewhere. Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> well, I mean, when I start thinking about that, like, it would be something that, you know how you go to a fair and they make you buy coupons from the Ron yes. White thing, right? Well, that could be – so it could be a, a one-time usage thing or for an event, right? Exactly. Like, And that way there's – everything's cashless, but you're doing business in the currency of the community, even if it's a temporary community. Um, or on a larger scale, you look at something like – I believe that with Microsoft – now, I don't game, but in Microsoft's Xbox world or whatever, they, they actually have a thing they call coins that they you buy – to pay for games and stuff like that. Um, that could be done with actual cryptocurrency. Or Amazon, you know, it seems like Amazon could, you know, because Amazon credits are like, honestly, the most used cryptocurrency in the world right now. Yes. But it could be formalized into a cryptocurrency. Right. And, you know, to put it in perspective, too, we talked about MadeSafe, and I kind of forgot to mention this about MadeSafe. But also, also another thing I forgot to mention about MadeSafe is it, is it stands, it's an acronym, it stands for Massive array internet disks, safe access for everyone. But so that that token they created made safe. They actually created on a platform just like Counterparty, known as uh, Omni Wallet. And I'm not so familiar with Omni Wallet, but it's basically they could have used Counterparty, which is basically like the same thing. But so they create this token that is secure and it cannot be 51% attacked. Uh, because it's connected to the Bitcoin protocol. I mean, that's another thing you got to worry about. Like, if you have a really good idea and you want to launch a blockchain, well, everybody's already hip to, uh, you know, blockchains now. And there's all kinds of people that have these big ASIC miners. And somebody might just have enough hashing power to go turn on your 
on your network and completely 51% attack it, you know, and destroy you. Uh, so <laughs> it's harder now to go ahead with a blockchain-based cryptocurrency uh, into the wild unless you have a lot of hashing power in the beginning to to back it, maybe federated at first, and then slowly decentralize it so it's the way it should be. But with this sort of thing, like Counterparty, you can create all these tokens that are totally secure, as secure as Bitcoin anyway, and then you can issue them. And if people like your idea, like MadeSafe, and they're like, man, this is a great idea. I like their team. I really like David Irvine. I think they have great developers. I, will, I, I think this is going somewhere. Then you can make a value promise to them like they did, where they're like, all these MadeSafe tokens are going to trade one for one for safe coins when they go live. Mm. So. When they build this thing up and get ready, so now use they one currency to back another currency, right? And in the meantime, they have all this money, this liquidity to go ahead and fund the developers, to go ahead and fund the teams to get this thing to where it needs to be, to where it's ready to launch. It's secure, it's polished, it's bug free, it's at least sort of bug free, ready to go. So that's another really important thing about things like Counterparty. I mean, like me, I create like a little thing called Tickets or TSP Coin, and I don't, I don't have a good value thing to offer right now. So I just did it real fast for something fun to do. But for a big team and a project like that, it can be a, a really, really cool thing for them. No, and I get it because you could do like I've, I've looked at some of the parameters. I haven't actually done it, but you could say things like there will be you can you can define anything you want. So you could say there will only ever be 20 million of these, sort of like the Bitcoin model. However, instead of having it mined, you can say X amount will be released per quarter for X amount of years, and then it will be and you could you could you could actually make it where yeah miners can you could have something almost like a mining thing proof of work to get it, but you've controlled it to where somebody can't just come in and attack it. If exactly. that makes sense. So like, like it's available like this block's available now, and right. only this block is available now for some sort of proof of work or some kind of net value exchange. And therefore, the rest of it, the integrity of the confidence that the market has, there will only ever be 20 million of these. Somebody's not going to come in there and, and, and basically crush it or suck everything out of it in a day or something exactly. like that. Right. That, that makes sense. So here's an idea that I've been kicking around for a long time now. And I would love to see somebody do something with this. And I, you know, probably you and me together with 20 more people like us don't even have close to the horsepower to do this. There's a thing, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, it's totally unrelated to cryptocurrency, but it shouldn't be, called Empire Avenue. Are you familiar oh, with Empire Avenue? Okay, uh, you, can, you can buy stock in TSP on Empire Avenue. It's just, it's all a big freaking game, and it doesn't mean anything. By the way, I'm like a billionaire uh, in, in Eves on Empire Avenue. And all it is is basically anybody with a blog and a social media platform can register their site and all their social media platforms and... When you take actions, it creates dividends for your shareholders. But it's wow. all a game. And people buy EVEs for money to play the game. And producers earn EVEs by having people buy their stock. Wow, if that had been done with freaking cryptocurrency. So basically what you're creating is a social media stock exchange where people see value in a blogger or a YouTuber or whatever, and if Eves were actually a coin that could trade outside or exchange for something outside, that could be like the biggest thing ever done with cryptocurrency for the producers of the web, for the content creators of the web. Right. It, and it's, I, I think that if, if, if the right team of developers looked at what it... Now, I don't know if you get in some kind of trademark infringement or some shit like that. Obviously, you'd have to call it something different, but I don't think you can have a patent or a trademark on the concept of a stock market. 
right? So, right. And, and it seems like they would be the people to do it, but they're kind of in a, a sling now because what do you do? And you turn to somebody like Jack Sprinkle that has a billion Eves, right? Now, yeah. you can't reverse engineer that, I don't think. You'd have to, like, start over, but... It's it's kind of a it's kind of a time waster if you let it be. I just do it because you know people play that game and they they look at the different companies and of course each company is really a blogger or an actual online company and some big companies are on there. I mean like Ford's on there, um, Chevy's on there, uh, Netflix is on there. So and somebody listed you on there? Are you? No, I listed it myself. You have to set your own thing up. You have to be able to verify that it's you and all. Oh, and you okay. get a little bit of free eves when you show up. It's like a, it's like all of these online games. So you yeah. get these free eves when you show up, and that's why I say you can buy free stock in in TSP because if you click the link, you go over there, you set your account up, they give you I don't know a couple hundred eves or something like that, and then from that point. Now the thing is, when you set it up, you have your own profile that's on there. So you're linking your your blog or your Facebook page or your YouTube and all of that stuff. And the the value of it to me, other than exposure, is that they actually have tools that let me analyze my performance on social media. So in other words, I'm given I'm my dividends are paid out based on how active and engaging I am on Facebook, how how many videos I put out, how many blog posts I put out, how many comments I get, things like that. So it gives me like this 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 uh, dashboard that shows me where I'm weak in my social media interaction. So that's like its value to me. They've gotten weaker on that. I think that was their original idea. And they've just gone full on with this game. And there's a community and people are you know, doing uh, missions and all kinds of crap. But the core is this concept of the stock market and the stocks paying dividends. Do you get paid for how many podcasts you put out? Because you'd be crushing it there. Well, yeah, I do, but it's in Eves. It's 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 worthless. I can't really do anything right. with it. Right. You know, all I can do is buy somebody else's stock with it. But if right. it actually had some sort of a backing, yeah, I mean, I, I just see that as because there's so much value that people are yeah. creating out there. I mean, you know, we were talking about Steam earlier, and that's what made me start thinking about this again. Like, so Steam is like so limited. Where if you actually create value in a website or a web presence that's subjective to markets to the market, right? So because I wouldn't buy stock in a company that I didn't believe in what they were doing or what have you. Even if like because you could start it out and you could call it I don't know uh, virtual market coin or something I don't know, and you know they could have a strike price of you know a penny a coin. Yep. You know, but then it would grow based on usage. And it, it just seems logical, and I think a lot of people would go, you know, these ten sites, I really like them. I'll I'll buy a hundred bucks worth of each of them and see if it goes anywhere. Right. And, and what actually yeah. grows in value isn't the stock itself; it's the underlying currency. Because if you do it with a deflationary currency, it's actually both. The stocks that perform the best are going to improve in value, but the underlying currency that you're holding the stock in. So instead of holding stock in, because the thing you think you're diversified, you're holding Ford Motor Company. It's denominated in dollars. You're not diversified. Right. Right? If the dollar takes a shit, it doesn't matter that Ford stock stayed steady, right? But what happens when the dollar takes a shit? Ford stock goes down. So you get hit both ways. Right. You know, I'm just I'm just saying like that. So like there are exchanges for coins. What if there was exchanges that used a coin to back sites? Yeah, I just, I, I think you're absolutely right and there's so much value there and somebody's going to capitalize on that. Somebody's got to do it. I want somebody to do it cuz I'll be one of the first people listing my presence there, you know. Cuz right. it's not just for companies. Like there's individuals who just have a blog about cats or some shit like that, you know. Um, and there's a lot of social media uh, teachers on there as well. People that are like 
You know, like the original, like the first guys that got really big in social media and stuff. There's one guy, Chris something, I can't think of his name now, but like he has a web feed. Like just all he's doing is sitting there doing his bullshit, working on like sending tweets and stuff on his computer, and people watch him. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. I, at times he does, but I mean he has a live web feed that people gaze into, and he's just like it's just watching some guy eat a Twinkie and type on a keyboard. Well, it's like, you know, we're just people, we're just humans, and we get real, te I mean, technology, we're in this huge, like, technology space race, it's just gone so far, I mean, that, uh, you know, computer science is just racing ahead at breakneck speeds, and, and it get, it's really, you know, cool, all the internet and all the apps and everything, but at the end of the day, we're just people, and we just want to see what other people are doing, you know? Yeah, I should make one update, though, for people that are going to look for this thing, I'll put a link in the show notes today to it, but it was called Empire Avenue, and it was like empireavenue.com or something like that. They actually yeah. got a .cred domain, I guess, for credibility, K-R-E-D, and it's now empire.cred. Um, and mm. you can get on over there from my site. Like I said, there's a link. You can buy some free stock and make me richer and worthless thieves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a leaders board, and you can take a look at the leaders board and see like the, the wealthiest people, the people with the highest dividends, things like that. And that gives an indication of how active they are. And we've been on the... The top 100 dividend payers for like four years or five, maybe it's longer than that. It's whenever I set it up. I don't really do much with it. Every once in a while, I log in and buy a bunch of stock and other people because that makes them look at you. Um, and oh, okay. you're not going to make any money if you hold it in each. You got to invest it, you know. So, uh, so it's 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 an interesting thing. Uh, I'll have to check that out. Now they have pre IPOs on there. I'm just looking at it right now. Man, if they if they would like I said if they would do something that would let you actually monetize this shit, and it'd be good for them too because you're selling the currency into circulation. I I don't get it. <laughs> right, right. That's maybe just the beginning. I think the next step is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it'd be cool. I think some of the people that are in this big time need to to get on over there. Like the richest person on um, on Empire Avenue right now is worth 52 billion eves. It's some person named Lynn O'Connell. And the uh, the wealthiest business on there, because you can list as an individual or a business, and actually individuals tend to do better. The wealthiest business on there is a, a company called David Sanger Photography, and they're worth 44 billion eaves. Oh my uh, goodness! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the guy that people used to watch uh, do his tweets or whatever fell off the map. I don't see his name there. I, I don't remember it, but it was some guy that was really big in social media and. That, that I remember when I was looking at this thing when it first started up, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" So I look at him, and he has a site with his live feed, and there's like, you know, 550 people currently viewing, and he's just sitting there typing away. Anyway, we, we, I don't want to get too sidelined on that. Let's let's talk about wallets. Um, okay. Let's talk about the different types of wallets and what's best for people. Right. So, um, I, so what's best for people? Uh, going to depend on your in the beginning your your technical levels right so i think in the beginning if somebody's just getting into bitcoin um they should stay with like uh maybe a, maybe an online wallet or that that keeps their private keys air, air gap like coinbase or something like that i mean they, they you know might want to get some on a phone and keep that in a hot wallet um when i say cold wallet or hot wallet Basically, when I say cold wallet, I consider that like if that, that's the bulk of your coins, you might want to keep that in a place that's safe. And then your hot wallet is your, your walking around money, kind of the same idea with dollars. But 
So if you're if you're somebody that is uh, just new to this and not very tech savvy, then you might want to outsource uh, that to somebody like Coinbase. So um, you know you're familiar with Coinbase, Jack. I use Coinbase. Um, the cool thing with Coinbase is that you can do like ACH transfers right from your bank. So if you want to buy Bitcoin, it's really really easy. I think they only charge like one percent. And they open up the wallet for you. You don't have to do anything besides just click on the right tabs and send. And are you sure you want to send to this address and whatever? And and so that's a good place to start. Um, they have plenty of good uh, phone wallets that you can download onto your phone from the App Store. I'm not familiar with iPhone because I, I don't have an iPhone. I have an Android. Um, I think they're pretty similar nowadays. I know back back a while ago, uh, Apple refused to to allow a lot of Bitcoin apps. And so there was tons of like anti-Apple Bitcoiners that are going around. There's people posting pic- videos of smashing their iPhones in the name of anti-Bitcoin uh, Apple. And uh, But they've changed their tune, of course. I knew they would. But um, one that I really – yeah, one – so there's, uh, there's uh, one that I like is called Mycelium. I use that one. Um, you can download that from the, the Google Play Store, um, and then it allows you to keep your private keys on your device. And just real quick, uh, for somebody that's new to Bitcoin, the private key is basically just your spending key. It just proves that you have ownership of that of those exact Bitcoins, and your public key is your account number, and you give your, your public key to anybody that you want to give you Bitcoins. Um, and then your private key, you don't ever share with anybody. And you don't have to worry about accidentally sharing it with any of these software wallets because it won't allow you to. Um, the only time you'll probably ever see a, a private key is if you use a paper wallet. So I guess I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But um, there's kind of like online wallets like Coinbase uh, that will keep your private keys. Uh, uh, they will keep your – they will uh, – with like the with the vault that you're talking about, there's a savings account there that they'll take your uh, actual Bitcoin. I think it is in an air-gapped uh, computer or server or whatever, and so those those coins are very safe. But I think Coinbase also allows you to keep your private key so that you can spend it. I know Blockchain.info is another one that you can have um, an online wallet where you log on to Blockchain.info, and then you can. Um, uh, print off like a paper wallet from that or whatever and have your private key or you can always uh, be able to import that private key into a different wallet if you want. I like I like wallets where I get to hold my private key. Now, there's what are called exchanges too. So if you ever put your money on an exchange uh, where you want to trade into another currency like all the ones that we talked about today, uh, a big exchange is Ploniex. Another one is called Bitfinex. There is another one called Bittrex. Um I still think exchanges are largely shady. You never know which one's going to go down next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally got hacked. Uh, some of my stuff got – well, I didn't get personally hacked. Uh, Bit, Bittrex got hacked, and I lost some of my coins um, on Bittrex. Uh, and I think they've been having trouble with Bitfinex now um, where they're having some trouble with withdrawals. Uh, I know Cripsy went down. I had friends that lost money in Cripsy. Um, I didn't know anybody lost money on Mt. Gox, but of course Mt. Gox was the big infamous uh, exchange that went down in flames. Um, and basically, if you give your money to, if you put your Bitcoin on a wallet on an exchange, it's it's no longer you know Bitcoin. It's just that exchange's Bitcoin. You know, you have a login and a password to have the right to move those. But if they ever decide they want to close down or run away, they have your private keys and you can't get access to them. So um, I would say anybody wants to get into Bitcoin. You know, maybe just set up a set up an account with Coinbase. Uh, keep it on there, and when you feel safe, uh, you can download an app um, onto your phone, whether that's uh, Mycelium 
or um, there's some other Bitcoin apps too out there. There's uh, Airbits, I think Airbits, but that only works in certain states. Um, and that, that allows you to keep your private key. But of course, if you lose your phone, you're kind of out there too if you don't write down your private seed. A lot of these um, wallets are going to have what are called um, uh, seeds, 12-word seeds, mnemonic seeds that will come with them, um, and they'll prompt you to, to write it down before it'll let you open your wallet, some of these ones that you'll download to your phone. And it's just 12 random words that is another way to generate the, the exact It'll be like blueberry, starfish, elephant pie, Eskimos, microwave. frogs, and microwave ovens, like something like that, yeah. Exactly. And if you... You can you can memorize that, and then that's essentially called a brain wallet, which is really really amazing because you could literally be naked and walk across the border and keep your bitcoins in your head, you know. But uh, so starting out, there's um, there's I like I just like to mention Coinbase because they're kind of they've been around forever, um, and so that's kind of an online wallet that allows you to control your private key. Uh, Blockchain Info is another one. And then there's the mobile wallets, of course. That um, So the mobile wallets uh, are what are called SPV wallets, uh, which stands for Simplified Payment Verification. So every time you want to send a Bitcoin transaction, you have to query the blockchain uh, to make sure that everything lines up or, or more so the, the node that is going to receive your transaction when you broadcast it to the network is going to need you to prove the digital signature that you have the right to to move those bitcoins and because your your phone wallets aren't going to have a full copy of the blockchain because to download a full copy of the blockchain right now is like it's like 100 gigs it's getting sure. really big um, so it's just called simplified payment verification where they connect to a server that is running a full copy of the blockchain so that's one that's one downfall in security about running a, a phone wallet uh, is that you you don't have a full copy of the blockchain you know I use them I'm not uh, but I don't I don't keep a lot of Bitcoin on my phone for that reason uh, but I mean for so storage I, I like coinbase because of the vault right let me cover that real quick just so people understand how that works so and I wish they would add a vault for ethereum um, because they yes. don't have vaults for ethereum and they just added Litecoin so I, I guess they don't have uh, vaults for that yet either. I need to check that because they do keep updating things. So with Bitcoin, you know, you get a certain amount of Bitcoin. You're like, I want this to be more secure. So you move it in. Like you said, it's kind of like a savings account. Um, you you move it into a vault. And what that does is, you, first of all, you have an app on your phone called Authy. So you have a two-party verification to log into your account in the first place. So when I go to log into Coinbase, if I haven't logged in for 30 days, unless I'm on the same machine that I've been logged in yesterday, um, it says, okay, enter your code. And I pick my phone up, and Authy gives me a code. Right? right? So just to get into the account, I have to do that. And yes. then when you get into your account, you say, okay, I want to create a vault, and we'll call it Jack's Vault. And I say, I want to put eight Bitcoins in Jack's Vault so that it's secure. Once it goes into that vault, I can't even get it for, it takes me 48 hours to get it back out. It requires me to put in two email addresses, and it already has my cell phone number to be able to text me. When I say I want the money to come out, it sends me two emails to two separate email addresses, and it sends me a text to confirm on my phone. I have to confirm all three of those, or it won't work. Right. It's not gone. It just won't come out of the vault. You can't get to it. Right. Then it takes 48 hours to get out, and it, it will email you multiple times and say, your funds will be available in you know 24 hours. Are you sure you want to do this? 
So for someone to hack your vault, they would have to get your login to Coinbase. They would have to get your login to two separate email addresses. They would have to get your cell phone. They'd have to have access to your, you know, like they'd have to get through the password on your cell phone, uh, and they would have to even know how to do all that. So, right. I mean, that's not the kind of thing a hacker goes after because a hacker wants to get in and steal a whole bunch of shit. They don't want to work really hard for one guy's thing unless it's it's really really big. Well, and, and a hacker can't get to those in the vault, I believe, because they're air gapped. I believe they are air gapped. That's so that's another thing. But then there's the whole time delay thing. So even if someone got yeah. a hold of your equipment. If you got access to your email within two days, you could go, oh, oh. shit, log in and cancel it. And it right. would take another 48 hours before it could come back out, and you could change everything by then. Yeah, it's like a supermax prison. <laughs> it is. It is like a supermax prison for your money. And yeah. like I said, the, 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 the thing I'd like to see them do is make that available for Ethereum, and now that they've got a Litecoin, Litecoin. But also some of the things you've said about Bitcoin, like the size of the blockchain and all, it's why I'm very excited about things like Ethereum. And why I think yeah. maybe they are the, the, the next generation and they're really going to take this stuff forward because Bitcoin is what it is. I think it's a good investment. I don't think it's going to go away, but I think it's going to be like this store of value. It's going to be yeah. like the gold of cryptocurrency. And what's going to make it really valuable is, first of all, since it takes time to spend it, uh, people are less likely to use it, especially as alternatives come along. And nobody freaking wants to spend it. Yes, exactly. It's so deflationary that it's the, it's the old problem. So it's it's the gold in your vault, and then right. these other things allow you to do stuff. And when you want to do something, you'll sell off a little bit of your gold, convert it over to the latest thing, and go out and do that thing with it. Yeah, it's exactly it. You know, when you got something that's deflationary, it's it works against being a good money because, like you said, it just goes up in value, and things priced in it go down. Um, yeah, so. Another one other thing about uh, wallets and being secure, um, of course, Coinbase, you don't have to worry about your house burning down. Your bitcoins are safe. Um, but another one thing that I like to use are what are called paper wallets. And this is just me. It might not be for everyone. But um, if you get a little bit more tech into this, this space, uh, you can you can go to like bitaddress.org or something. One of those just Google Bitcoin paper wallet and then uh Pick one of those websites that, and then basically there's like a zip that you can download and you can generate uh, random Bitcoin public-private key pairs offline, and then you can print them out, um, and then you could also copy paste and put them on flash drives or whatever you want to do and put them like in a firebox inside of your gun safe, and so that's air gapped as well. And so I like to do that just because if I ever want to move my stuff really fast, I can just uh, import those private keys into some sort of software wallet and then move them um, and then into dollars or into some other kind of currency. But so uh, paper wallets are, are really, really safe. It's just, again, uh, you're, you're subject to fire or theft or something like that. But, um, you know, I like, I just wanted to mention paper wallets for sure. Yeah. Very cool. So <laughs> let's talk about, another, let's talk a little bit more about exchanges. So we, we kind of like talked about exchanges from a standpoint of, Ooh, it's risky. When should you use an exchange? What is the purpose of it for the person? Why would I ever use an exchange? Right. Well, okay, so for me, the only time really I use an exchange is when I'm seeing a new coin or token that I'm really, really excited about. And it might be new, so there's not a lot of development. There's not a lot of wallets. It's not like Bitcoin. It's not like Ethereum, right, where you just go download a wallet or find, put it on Coinbase. Uh, so it might only be listed on Ploniex. Um, they might not have a good paper wallet that I can uh, software that I can generate a paper wallet and download like like Factum right now 
is that way. Um, and so for that reason, my factoids are sitting on Ponyx. Um, so, you know, if that ever gets to the point to where I can generate a good paper wallet to get them off of there, I'm going to do that. I tried d- downloading the, the client on Windows. It's just a command line, and it didn't work. I was going to try again on Linux. I think it'll probably work on Linux because things always work better on Linux for some reason. But, you know, uh, and then I think I could generate uh, a wallet either on my Linux machine or generate a paper wallet. But so uh, if, if it's an obscure coin or something like that, you might want to store it on an exchange just until you can move it somewhere, especially these new coins that are underdeveloped as far as their application, you know, wallets and stuff like that. Um, another thing is if you're trading, uh, that's something I might be getting into here soon. Um, you know, technical trading and stuff like that. You might need to place buy and sell orders and stuff like that. But again, you know, very, very risky because these exchanges can just go away in the night. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, we've seen hacks and we've seen them just shut down. We've seen a really big, you know, shutdown, obviously, with Mt. Gox and again with Cripsy. Uh, Bittrex got hacked. Um, there have been problems with Bitfinex. There's been problems with pretty much all of them. Um, I haven't heard a lot of problems with Poniex. It's kind of the last one, but they're just big honeypots. Just know that. Um, so one one way. So if you want to exchange altcoins uh, and you don't want to use an exchange, there is an alternative. And I love this this uh, application. It's called Shapeshift.io. I don't know if have you heard of that, Jack. I have. I have. Please tell us about it. Yeah, Shapeshift.io is basically allows you to exchange uh, many different altcoins. Uh, for Bitcoin or vice versa. And so basically you go to like shapeshift.io, it'll bring up a website and there'll be a couple boxes and it'll be like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go from Bitcoin to, you know, blah, 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 or do you want to go the other way? And it lists all the coins that it supports and it it supports a lot of, most of the end of the coins that you're going to want are going to be listed on there. And if it's not on there, you probably don't want it anyway because it's probably a scam crap coin. But, um, so Shapeshift is basically you just enter in your uh, Bitcoin, uh, how much, you know, and what what's how many units of Factum I want to buy, and you hit, okay, go ahead and start the transaction, and then it brings up a QR code, which is just a uh, Bitcoin public address, to send your money to. And then with your phone wallet, you'll open up, your, let's say you open up Mycelium, and you go and hit send, and it, you hit the camera button, it brings up the crosshairs, you take a picture of that QR code, it loads all the information, Broadcast the transaction, and then it'll send. It'll make that trend. You wait for like ten minutes, and it'll make that transaction for you as, as soon as it fulfills that buy order. And I've never had a problem with it. They've always been great. I really like their team. Um, I like a lot of the people that are associated with it. Um, I trust them over an exchange, and it's just nice because you don't have to have your money sitting on an exchange to make that transaction. So I, uh, I think it's keep- a lot more safe personally because. Yeah. Money is only there for the time of the transaction, which makes a lot more sense to me. I mean, it'll right. be great when we actually have like an e-trade of cryptocurrencies that is that right. reliable or when like e-trade or Ameritrade or whatever comes into the 20th century and allows trading of cryptocurrencies. I mean, th- that will be nice. Until then, I think you got to be really careful in that space from what I've heard anyway. Absolutely. And 100%. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about Shapeshift.io. They're kind of they're kind of the the one thing that bridges the gap right now between that security with exchanges and those of us that want to speculate and play around without altcoins. Makes yeah. it easy because as long as we have a wallet that can hold them, we can we can use it, right? 
Exactly. So let me just rehash this to make sure I understand how it works. I've never used it. I've heard of it and make sure everybody else understands it. So let's say I had a, there was a new altcoin out. We'll call it, a, I don't know, microphone coin. And I wanted to get some microphone coin, and it was on Shapeshift.io. All I need is a wallet that can hold micro uh, microphone coin and some wallet somewhere that I'm holding Bitcoin in. And I can go there and say, take you know X number of dollars worth of Bitcoin out of this wallet and transfer it into the equivalent in microphone coin into this wallet, click, done. Yes, exactly. You just say, I want to uh, trade Bitcoin for microphone coin, and then you just enter in how many microphone coins you want to buy, and you hit continue, and it brings up a QR code with all of the transaction information uh, up to the second of what the exchange rate is for it at that time, and you hit send, and it'll charge the exact amount that it would cost for that many microphone coin into the microphone coin wallet that you specify. And of course, they get a fee for the transaction. That's how, they, like a brokerage fee. And I don't, yeah. think, I don't even think you need an account to use this, do you? No, you don't need an account at that's all. That's beautiful, what's right? Yeah. When I looked at, it, I'm like, you don't even need an account to do this. You just need two wallet addresses. Yeah, they totally understand this space. I mean, this space is about no user, no login. Uh, don't have to trust. It's supposed to be trustless, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's no need for trust because they don't have any information on you. Yeah, why would you trust somebody if you didn't have to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why would you I'm going to steal that one. That's going to get used <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Um, yeah. What do you think are some of the places that are good to stay up uh, to date on this fast-moving space? I think you mentioned a podcast. I think I've been adding stuff to the notes, as you've said. So there was the uh, – The uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast. I also have your podcast. You're called Living Freedom Podcast. I think you did like 12 episodes or something of that. And uh, are there any other things that you think like people should use as resources? Yeah, just real quick about my uh, my podcast. Um, I you know I started that thing and I and I kind of like I got a lot of inspiration from you, Jack. I mean, I actually heard the first time I ever heard about Bitcoin was from you. And I, I thought you were saying big coins, like B-I-G. And I'm thinking like just off the base of it, I was like, well, I already have some coins in my pocket. And they're already too big. I don't want bigger ones. I don't even like having change in my pocket. So I'm not, I'm not messing with that stuff. That's kind of tuned out, you know. But I didn't know you were talking about Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, I heard about it then a long time. It was probably 2012, 2000, something like that. But anyway um, – I really, really like Let's Talk Bitcoin. I think that's a wonderful place to go if you have time for a podcast. It's done it's done wonders for me as far as getting me up to speed and keeping me current. I really like uh, this other app. I think it's called I think it's just called Cryptocurrency News that I download from Google Play, but it gives me a lot of uh, a lot of uh, news articles. Uh, CoinDesk is a good place. Uh, Coindesk.com. You know, there's like Coin, there's Coin Telegraph, there's Coin Report, there's News BTC, there's 99 Bitcoins, Coin Fox. There's a lot of different places out there now reporting on Bitcoin news. But I, I really, I like Coindesk the most. It's kind of my go-to. But I like this cryptocurrency news app. So if you download that, you know, it'll load you know 20, 30 articles a day, uh, just inundating you with information. But um, yeah, I can't say enough about Let's Talk Bitcoin. Uh, so I like to go there. I keep keep a good app. If you find out some other good apps, let me know too. But so anyway, I started let's let's oh, I'm sorry. I started Living Freedom podcast, and I wanted it to be kind of a a vague thing where I could work into all these things that I'm passionate about. And it turns out I was just talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So um, I decided to kind of refocus. So I just started a, a blog uh, called CryptoSkim.com. So uh, if you go to CryptoSkim.com. 
What I want to do is, you know, like I said, I've also been getting people that have been just trying to give me money. I've had like three friends in the last <laughs> month. They're like, here's $500. Like, go no. put it in that Bitcoin stuff you're doing. I'm like, no, I can't take your money. Like, I know you're a good friend of mine and whatever, but I can't, I can't do that. And then I, uh, so, and I've had a lot of people try to ask me a lot of questions. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to try to offer some value and I'm just going to see where it goes. So I started a blog called CryptoSkim.com and the idea is I'm just going to give you my big takeaway of the week's news. So I'm going to provide like links to about three to five articles I think are the big takeaways and I'm going to put on a couple, couple paragraph blog once a week. Just here's, here's what I think big that went down that you need to pay attention to in the space. And then I'm all, I also got a widget on there that shows everything that I'm watching right now. Here's the ones that I'm either trading or buying or selling or whatever. And I might speak to that in the future here. I just threw this together, so it's really, really new. You've got um, like one Yeah. One I literally post finished on it. it like last night because I've but been just you know what? I'm not gonna beat you up because right now I'm saying Jack Spearco, Jack at the survive I'm 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 opting in. Okay. Come to your so I'll actually get an email because I won't remember to go back. So you have an email subscription. That's oh, great. Man, that's great. Yeah, if you didn't have that, then I'd be beating your ass right now, saying, "What are you doing on here? Do you hate money?" But no, I. <laughs> but you got I it, so you're help. good. Yeah, I need to, I need to keep working on it, but I'm just trying to get something. Um, so yeah, I just I can I can do this a lot more effectively and a lot more efficiently. I can sit down and synthesize. All this stuff I'm consuming and just try to provide some value for people, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this space, so it's not hard for me to, to go through all this information. But um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of starting that journey and I'm going to let people know that, hey, instead of giving me your money, why don't you just check this out and then, you know, do whatever you want with your money. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you being with us today. Um, I, I think it's been a great interview. I'm sure some of this went over people's heads, but that's okay. Um, you know, this is something that the reason there's opportunity in it is because it requires knowledge. Um, right. it, it's not something that just anybody, it is something anybody can do, but it's not something that just anybody can do without doing a little bit of learning. So I think this is a, a great kind of, we've done some like basic, very low level beginner. This is kind of a 2.0. Uh, or 201 at the if you look at the college you know course runs and but there's a lot of information I think that even people that like some of it was over your head the part you got is the important part and right. the beautiful thing is it's a podcast so listen to it again and then you'll get a little bit more and then listen to it again and you get a little bit more because I I personally feel that and I'm not saying it's going to be Ethereum or it's going to be you know Bitcoin or it's going to be Dash or whatever I don't know what's going to become the dominant player long term or if there's going to be ten of them is there going to be a big three what it's going to be but I think this technology is the future of the global economy. Like Absolutely. I don't see any other way for the global economy to evolve into what people want it to be because this does take power away from the oligarchs in Absolutely. a way that no one has ever done before. And it's just starting. You know, I talk to people and they're like, oh, man, I wish I would have got in Bitcoin earlier. I wish I would. It's like, man, wake up. You're still an early adopter today. You are an early adopter. I mean, how many people, you know, own Bitcoin? I, I, I'm usually I'm the only one that I talk to throughout the day that owns any Bitcoin. Now I talk to people. A lot of people have heard of it. But I mean, even three years ago, nobody even heard of it. I mean, I still get people that haven't heard of it. But so if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, it sounds like it's way over my head and I wish I would have got in early. You still can. You can start learning about it today. Get into the space. I think the greatest opportunities for us small people are in the space uh, that I've seen in a long time. 
So well, I, I'd say look at it this way. What do you think would happen to the price of Bitcoin today if 5% of the world started using it? Exactly. Just five. Yeah. Because it's, it's probably, what, 1% or 2%? Or less. Maybe. It, it probably is. I'm saying developed world anyway if we take out. Yeah, you know, developed from. Yeah, yeah, probably 1% to 2% of the developed world. People that would be capable of using it. There's people that do, they can't. They don't have a, a phone. They don't have a computer. The other six billion. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, right. If, if it's just 5% of the people that are capable of using it used it. And we again, we know math says it can't, it can't go inflationary. Because when this started, I was very skeptical, but I still got in pretty early because I, it started to make sense and I understood it. And once people started calling it tulip mania, right? And yeah. it's going to be like tulips all over. I'm like, hold on. I can buy a tulip, throw it in a pot, and at the end of the year I have six more bulbs. Right. You can't do that with Bitcoin, and there's going to be less tulips every year instead of more. Like, tulip mania was dumb. And for those who don't right. know, there was an inflationary tulip market in the in Holland um, in, like, the 16 or 1700s where people were getting rich overnight on special tulip bulbs, but they're self-propagating. Right. So it, it was – you had to be an idiot to think that it was never going to go away. Well, oh, man, yeah. this is so much more inherently limited. It can't, it can't do that. It mathematically cannot do that. Yes, Yeah, I, I've had some interesting conversations with people. I got sick of – I would take a huge fa Facebook break here, uh, dealing with trolls all the time. And I know you just can't engage with trolls. But I talk to people like, oh, it's Beanie Babies. And like I just don't even know what to tell people sometimes. I'm like, you know what? Fine. You know, this might not be for you. you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah this isn't for, for you. Go away. Yeah, right. I, I'm pretty quick. Facebook anyway, I'm pretty quick on the block button. Just, yeah. I don't want to hear from you anymore. You don't like opposing click. No, I don't. And I, it's not that I don't like opposing because I don't like trolls and I don't like people that are annoying for the sake of being annoying. Um, but I think to me, what one of the big things, and we'll wrap up here, I just want your thoughts on this, that I think cryptocurrency has done for people in the world of money. We had a, a guest on about a week ago that talked about how lock picking removes the illusion of security. Once you learn how to pick a lock, you're like, oh, locks are bullshit, right? I mean, right. It, this is this keeps honest people out. And I think when when Bitcoin and Ethereum and these other altcoins have come out and actually worked, it removed the illusion that only government can create money. Yes. And it, either government creates it or you have to use something like gold. Well, no. Exactly. Well, no, no, because gold gold sucks as currency. It really does. Right. Let's yeah. say that I want you to do a job for me. Uh, you're a pro, you do programming work and, or CAD work or something like that. And I say, well, that's a pretty you know thing you could do there and send me the results. I want you to design this thing for me. And you go, yeah, I want a thousand dollars. And I go, okay, well, let's do it in gold. Right. It sucks. Yeah. What am I gonna do? Mail you a thousand dollars worth of gold? Break a thousand dollars off of you know a, a one ounce piece of gold? But if you if you want to do that, and I say, well, what currency do you want to be paid in? You're like Litecoin. Give me an address, and when the contract's done, I'll say, you know, fifty percent down and fifty percent at delivery. Boom, it's there. And they can't stop it. They can't you know, stop it's, it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing too. Like you know, just learning about this space and learning about economics and then learning about Bitcoin. You know what they've pulled off with fiat currencies, and we'll just talk about this country and the Fed with the U.S. dollar, is, you know, they created the illusion of scarcity with that thing. And with Bitcoin, it is real scarcity. And that's funny uh, kind of conundrum because people go, oh, well, Bitcoin's just funny money, right? What's backing it? Well, it's like, think about your own currency, the dollar, for a while. You know, uh, you know they create the illusion of scarcity. I mean, everybody knows intrinsically a dollar is worth, like, uh, whatever 
you know, you can wipe your butt with it. You can burn some, you know, stay warm. You know, it's not hard to make more of those if you have the printing press. They shouldn't be scarce in nature, right? It's only scarce because they control it tightly of how much is issued from the government or the, the king or whatever, you know. With Bitcoin, you literally can't create more unless you have a machine that can compute a hash value that's uh, small enough before everybody else can. And so if you think it's easy to go create some Bitcoin, go try to do it. You know, And same thing with gold, too. You can't just create more gold. I mean, these things are really scarce in nature. But with uh, So it's, it's, it's funny to understand those things as you get deeper into this and you understand, like, you know, what is money? And money is like an issuance of debt. You know, it's a monetization of debt. Uh, whereas Bitcoin, there's no, there's no debt involved with it. You know, it's, it's like just pure, it's pure money. So it's funny how people think about it on base, the narrative that's trotted out by the media versus their own money. It's kind of the opposite as far as I see it too. Well, absolutely. And I think the other thing that you, you realize with it is that because they can't stop it, they try to villainize it, demonize it, attack it. They've already, they've already done everything they can. They threw, yes. and, and they did it with the first generation, which was really the weakest product. It just, the reason it's worth the most is it went first, right? Yeah. So they already went full bore on Bitcoin. They slandered it. They did everything they could. And it just, it, it had almost no effect to the point now where you actually can make political contributions to your ass cloud of choice in Bitcoin. And the IRS has yes. issued tax guidance. And when that happened, I remember when the IRS issued tax guidance, like, oh, it's over now. The IRS is going to, That's not over now. It's it's an acknowledgement. It's a surrender flag. Right. And it's like you know. And then I was talking to a buddy of mine that's a police officer, and he was talking about you know the problems with it being used in human trafficking and stuff like that. He's not against it. He's just saying like that's not being used. But when I started explaining to him about things like Dash and Monero, yeah. they had yeah. no idea it even existed. I so these are guys. Exactly these are guys that actually going after it for legitimate. Actually, not after it, but but being informed on it for legitimate criminal reasons in law enforcement. And if they don't understand it, what the hell do you think the, 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 the people like the oligarchs understand about it? They understand nothing about it. Right. Yeah, they're still worried about uh, managing and regulating and controlling cuddly little Bitcoin, and they haven't even considered to understand or even be, even be aware of what is Dash, what is Monero, what are these other <laughs> currencies that are coming. I mean, they don't even know. This stuff, this open source software can be worked on by geniuses all over the world. You know, uh, it's exploding. The bleeding edge is moving so fast. They can't keep up with this space. You know, well, it's, and you just can't even there. It's the open source nature of it. It's because right. who do you attack? We're going to shut Bitcoin down. Yeah. Go ahead. We're going to try it. Go ahead. Because yeah. right. if you could have, you would have done it. You know, yeah. Like if it, I create Jackcoin and I completely control Jackcoin and it's all under my control, they can come to my house and seize my assets. But if right. I create Jackcoin and put it out in the ecosystem and it's in a decentralized network, they can shoot me. It doesn't matter. It's still there. Exactly. Yep. Good luck. I mean, you can't do any. I'm sorry. I couldn't. If I do it right, they say, well, shut it down. I, I can't. And, I, you know, I, I can't shut it down either. Sorry. Exactly. In any country that thinks they want to ban it, go for it. Go Shoot ahead. yourself right in the foot. That's you know, awesome because when you ban it, your country will, will use it more because you banned it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll right. go, they'll, they'll go dark with it. They'll use yeah. it more. And because they do that, it'll go up in price and I'll make a profit. So you go ahead and do that. Well, it worked great for drugs, right? They just <laughs> banned those and yeah. it went away. 
You know, I mean, and, and it's just people don't understand, like, it's a global currency. It's not USA-centric. you got to stop thinking like USA, 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 like we have this, yeah. all the power to do anything in the world. Like, no, Bitcoin doesn't give a crap about the United States. Money's <laughs> going to go where it's treated well. Exactly. You know? And that's another reason they don't like it, because it's you can't subject it to tariffs, right? Yeah. Or uh, or like they call like a, 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 an ex, a ex, expatriate tax or something like that. Like, I can put that numeric device in my head, and I can, like you said, get on a plane, get off in France, and spend my Bitcoin. You can't right. seize it from me. I don't have it. I don't. I, I can't help you. Yeah, I, and as you know, this is heating up, you know, this uh, war on cash. I mean, people yeah. are really starting to understand this. It's heating up throughout the eurozone. You saw what happened in India. Yeah. You know. Well, isn't it funny when you mention that that like I believe the goal of the oligarchs. For a hundred years, from the, not a hundred years, but from the first punch card computers, was to eliminate cash, to get rid of it. Yep. And in the end, the free market developed a cashless system that actually is bad for them. Yes. Like they, the reason they don't like Bitcoin is because it wasn't a Marrow coin and Mexico coin and England coin first, right? Where they right. where they each had their centralized control. It went global. Like they, actually, I think they actually want a global currency, but not like this. Right? Yes. That's, that's just, I think the global banking cartel totally would be cool with global coin if they controlled it. But it's like, sorry, guys, we beat you to it, and you'll never catch up. And Exactly. Why? Yeah, why? The, the own words of the, the PM from India, where he was saying the reason why they banned the two top denominated bills in his country, which caused total havoc because it's a total cash-based country, uh, you know, he was saying, well, we want to move people into the 21st century, into digital currencies. It's just good for them to move did. ahead. We don't work. And we just did. It's just yeah. not the one you wanted to win out, buddy. Yeah. yeah. I guarantee yeah. you there's going to be an India coin. <laughs> yeah. And it's not going to be controlled by India, but Indians. And that's the way it should be. That's anyway, should be. Brandon, dude, this has been a great interview. I had a great time with you today. Thanks for being with us, man. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Anytime. So, hey, great interview. Really enjoyed talking to Brandon today. And now it's time for us to remind you another way you can help support our show is by um, going to tspaz.com whenever you're going to do your Amazon shopping. And if you're listening on Patreon to the commercial free versions, you're going, ah, this is back. It is. And I've been thinking about this. Um, I see the tspaz segment as very much a, a, a content rich segment. And the reason I, I did it on the first uh, one on Patreon where I, I removed this whole segment and went straight to the song of the day was because I asked a person, one of the first people to pledge on Patreon to get the free commercial free versions, and uh, I said, how do you feel about it? And what she said was, I don't want to be reminded at all about supporting people when I'm listening to stuff through Patreon, and I don't want the creators to even have to think about it. I just want them to create. I've been thinking about that for a couple weeks, and here's the reality. Not going to happen. Not me personally. I'm saying that doesn't happen. Creators, no matter how they're monetizing their creations, they have to think about increasing support and things like that, or they're, they're not going to be sustainable in it. So I, I think the reasoning is flawed because it doesn't happen. Even the one, even if you're not hearing it, they're doing it. So the the uh, the nicety of well, I don't want you to have to. Well, I have to do it anyway. So when I think about this, like when I think about the T-Spaz segment, it's about Five seconds of me saying, hey, do your Amazon shopping at T-Spaz. And the rest of it is a product, and a product that I think people in our niche want to know about. Today's product that you can find at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, is uh, the Black & Decker 6-amp six, six angle grinder. And here's the education on this today. Um, 
this tool is a bit of a departure from my normal choice of tools, which is usually this. Get the best you can afford, and if they're power tools, go cordless. So why did I choose this one, which is a, you know, a lower-end tool? It's under 30 bucks and a plug-in tool. Well, I'm not a welder, and I'm not using this thing as a typical grind for typical grinding. The main thing I use an angle grinder for is cutting. Specifically, the things we cut most on an angle grinder around here are fencing, hog panels, and hardware cloth. What does all this add up to? That I'll need an angle grinder four to eight times a year on my property, and we'll run it about an hour or so maximum per year. So I initially looked at the 20-volt max DeWalt angle grinder, and I was tempted, and the $100 price is a good price for this tool. And if I use it a lot or frequently, that's what I would buy. But does it make sense to pay $100 for a tool that basically does what the $30 tool will do for you that's going to use an hour a year at most? I don't think it does. To me, it doesn't work. And I can reach an extension cord about 80% of the places on my property. And I have a portable generator. And I have a Stephen Harris battery bank in my F-350. So I decided to save the $70 bucks and invest it elsewhere. I started, as I always do, on Amazon with the Amazon reviews, and I found this one had 4.5 out of 5 stars and 100-plus reviews. It was also the number one bestseller in power angle grinders on Amazon, and since you can return anything on Amazon and it was only 30 bucks as a bestseller, I went ahead and got one to try. Overall, I'm very pleased with it, plenty of power, easy to use, and I had no trouble cutting a few things I tested it on. Black & Decker offers a two-year warranty on the product, Though I doubt with limited use I'm going to need it. The grinder comes with standard 4.5-inch grinder disc, but since I will use it mostly for cutting, I picked up a 10-pack of PowerFlex Premium Cutoff Wheels for $13. They're linked to in my review today. Likely they'll last me five years or more in the limited amount I'm going to need to use this tool. Here's the big thing. Until you own one of these angle grinders, you're not going to realize how valuable they are when it comes to what you really need them for. The things they do well, they do better than any alternative. So you really should have one for your homestead or shop. I'm going to reiterate, though, this is a lower-end tool. If you're going to use it a lot, I'd recommend the 20-volt Max DeWalt Angle Grinder. Or if you wanted to plug in one that's a beast, the DeWalt DWE402. Awesome, awesome angle grinders for the power user. But if you just want something in your shop so that when you need to cut some stuff or do a little bit of grinding here and there, then $30 bucks and you're good and you're golden. It comes with a two-year warranty. It's a great tool. Uh, we use them for things like when we build chicken tractors and stuff like that. Hardware cloth is a pain in the ass to cut. You take an angle grinder, zip. So I really recommend you consider having an angle grinder in uh, your shop today. I also want to let you know about something here at the end of the show before we get into uh, the song of the day. Uh, Mr. Paul Wheaton, the Duke of Permaculture, one of my best friends, uh, he has a Kickstarter going on right now that's really freaking cool. Okay, they're doing a PDC, and they're live streaming the PDC so that you can get the whole thing. And it's actually a four-week course. PDCs are usually two weeks. This is a four-week course. It's being live streamed, and it's being recorded. Students that are watching the live streaming can ask questions and engage. You don't have to buy it all. You can buy pieces, parts of it. Uh, you can buy just the recordings. There's a whole bunch of stuff, and the rewards start like down around five bucks. I have a post on it on the blog today. I'll have a link in today's show notes so that you can check it out. And I'm just saying check it out. It's really not that important uh, to me, honestly. Uh, Paul asked me to share it. Paul's a good friend of the show, a good friend of the community, and a good guy. So, of course, I'm willing to share it. And I think it's cool. 
And I think some of you can really get a lot out of it. It's a way to gain some education in the permaculture field for not much money. He's got a lot of stuff on it. He calls it like the big thanks and candy and all kinds of stuff. Paul's a creative guy. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Eccentric, creative guy. And uh, definitely worth checking out Paul Wheaton's new PDC and permaculture course on Kickstarter. Again, link on the Survival Podcast blog and in today's show notes. With that, let's talk about the song of the day today. The song of the day today is by a band called Third Eye Blind. And John Adam nailed it on this one of defining the sound that was 1997. This song just sounds like 1997, 1998, 1996, like that era. The music that didn't suck in that era anyway, because a lot of music freaking sucked. What is How's It Gonna Be about? How's It Gonna Be? Uh, the guy that wrote the song says, um, it is... It, uh, the." Uh, It is, I'm sorry, it's just about the fear you have when you've been close friends and they gets knocked back to becoming acquaintances again. So I think it's a song about the emotional side of mortality. So when you listen to the song, it sounds very much like a breakup between a boyfriend and girlfriend. And there's one line in it that kind of cements that. It's like, I want to taste the salt on your skin. I, I don't think like if you're like bros with somebody, you want to taste the salt on their skin unless that's your thing and fine if it is. But for most of us, that's not our thing. So, um, but when I read his explanation of it, I think it can apply to any relationship that goes from being a very close relationship to just someone you know. And that's a hard thing. And how's it going to be now when someone has been this big a part of your life? But in many instances, that's growth. That's growth. That's development. And in many instances, the person or the thing or the part of your life you have to let go of, it doesn't even have to be a person, Right that you have to let go of for some reason, there's something better planned in your life long term. And without moving that thing out of the way, you can't get to that next point or that next person or that next relationship or that next opportunity. You can't make the most of your dash. You're living in the past. So how's it going to be? It might be tough, but if you take the right steps, it always leads somewhere better. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
found out there was nothing between you and me. 